G'day, Terraniacs. It is the coach here, and I am with a honoured special guest. We are going to be talking all things about terrain. We're talking things about building display boards. We are talking everything about crafting in the hobby. And I've got a special guest. It is the terrain tutor. It is Mel. G'day, Mel. Welcome to the channel. What an honour this early on my Sunday morning, but well worth it for you. Thank you, buddy. Thanks for having me on. Uh, so for anyone who doesn't know who the Terrain Tutor is, and, and that would blow me away that no one has seen you, but if, if someone didn't know who you were, uh, not only are you a master crafter, but you want to tell other people who you are. Uh, well, I'm just an average Joe who's got a passion for terrain, and I seem to people seem to like the way I teach it. You know, I share my hobby, I share my mistakes, I share where I learn, and I share where I know, you know, on the channel, and people just seem to enjoy the chaos that ensues when I put out a video. So, you know, I'm, I'm all things terrain, essentially. I've got a passion for building and I've got a passion for keeping terrain building going within the community and just basically leveling up everyone's tables. So we all have better gaming experiences. No, I love it. I, I found your channel. I, I was mentioning my little story to Mel before we started. Um, I got into Mel's um, YouTube channel, by the way, like, subscribe, you know what to do. Go and find the Terrain Tutor. But um, I, I picked up the mantle of being a tournament organizer because about 2018 and I found myself, you know, working with a games club that just didn't have enough terrain. And I didn't have a lot of money because I was a first-time tournament organizer. And a lot of my funds was being organized through the convention. So I was looking for how do I build practical, realistic, fun, fantasy-type terrain that I could use at a tournament. And lo and behold, I found your channel. And I'd learned so much from you. And obviously, you kind of like, um, you know, you keep putting out great, great, great content. You've obviously got a book. Um, the book is called terrain essentials and yeah. i'll do a giveaway at the end of the show um so make sure that you make a comment in the comment section um not in the sh live stream in the youtube video but we actually met i don't know if you remember this i do i do <laughs> we actually met at adepticon uh unplanned i was walking yeah. around the convention center i thought if i saw you i had a gift for you and um we, i did i did run into you and we had a yeah. quick chat it was it was really cool yeah, it was a good blast. The Deptagon was an absolute whirlwind. I completely underestimated that convention compared to UK ones. You know, so for me, I just went. It, for five, six days I was there, just spun out of control. If, if I tried to recollect what happened now, there's no way I could figure out what happened when and where and that sort of stuff because it was just nonstop. But it's a hell of a convention. Oh, you walk around and there's, you know, wargaming, mini wargaming Dave and you, you know, you turn a corner and Duncan's in the bathroom and then, you know, you walk and go get yourself a hot dog and there is like, you know, somebody else from, you know, spiky bits. It's just like, it's absolutely ridiculous. Games, workshops everywhere. What a convention. And then let alone you got people painting and cosplay and. It's it, just it, non. I love how they take over the really posh hotel. Like the, the really poshest hotel in the area. And they've just like, it's just full of gamers sitting everywhere, rolling dice and games set up in corridors and stuff like that. It's just brilliant. Yeah, no, it was great. It was my first experience in an event like that. 
But we're here to talk not about Adepticon because I, I, it's making me realize that I'm going to miss it this uh, upcoming next year. Me I'm going to cry on stream. I'm going to cry on stream. But I, I want to talk to you about terrain because yeah. I, I know for Australia, I have been in lockdown for four months. So we've come out now. Happy days. But a lot of people are, um, a lot of venues for us aren't really hosting Warhammer events. It's not, you know, we're not re- there just yet. But also in this lockdown period, people have put together their own hot, uh, personal terrain and tables. They want to be able to play in their backyard with their friends in their garage. People are looking at picking up the mantle of, of being a tournament organizer, running something small in their community, whether it is for Age of Sigma, for, you know, Marvel Crisis, for any type of game. And then you've got these tournaments in, in Australia and, and around the world. Because we're in a new edition, so many people are now joining the events that we're scaling, we're getting bigger, and I've got to get more terrain. So I guess I wanted to invite you and talk all things about terrain building and how I can either level up my Warhammer table at home or I could scale and get more terrain for my, my tables uh, at my tournaments. Or maybe even I'll, I'll, I'll do a favor for my tournament organizer and donate a table. I know that's a popular thing and some people like to give back and build something and and help those tournament organizers grow. So that that's yeah. that's our that's our chat for today. That's our right. discussions. So well let's hammer it. I mean <laughs> getting te- terrain on the table it's key to this, you know. And with regards to tournaments one thing that's starting to happen in the UK is they're starting to actually give asking people to bring a table to tournaments and starting to award best table awards and actual something you can actually achieve which if you can't if you're not a, an amazing model painter or if you're not an amazing tactician yeah actually gives some you another option of actually i can win something at this tournament you know just by bringing a table so i think that's another way that watch got tournaments to get in terrain in and varied terrain and also a decent standard of terrain because people are competing now not everyone's going to bring brilliant terrain yeah, but it does help level it up and it does help the tournament organisers. Well, you're right. Like when I started to scale my tournament, I think initially I had, I started off about 50 players or 60 players, but my, my games club was contributing to the table. And then I uh, I took my own venue the following year. It got so successful and I kind of grew out my cap. Like the convention said, look, Age of Sigma, settle down. You know, there's other games like Bolt Action and Saga mm. and like they want places to, you know, you need to be capped. And I didn't want to be capped. I'm like, no, yeah. man, I want to go as big as I can. So I went to my own convention and I want my own, my own hotel. But then I realized I had no terrain. I'm like, shit, how do I build? Yeah. And you said quality. I, I don't want a table that is just, you know, insulation foam that's been carved up in a bunch of dodgy looking rocks. Not that that's a bad thing, but I, just, I wanted some variety. I wanted some interesting things, some swamps, some lava, some some foresty type things. So kind of, again, this kind of led me to your channel. But before we talk about the practicality and, you know, the, the mindset that you've got, I want to know how you got started. How did you get started building terrain? Oh, uh, watch clear. Uh, my mother was a single mother and she owned a craft shop when I was a kid. Yeah, and we lived in North Wales, which is in the middle of nowhere. And so I grew up with my summers, you know, sitting in a craft shop, you know, so I literally grew up around PVA and in the corner, she had a small stack of railway stuff. Yeah. That the railway guys used to come in. I had airfix models and, you know, the little stuff because they were big in the UK. You know, they sold airfix models in news agents. You know, they were a popular thing, a proper hobby. 
So I used to have like little airfix tanks in airplanes and stuff like that, polystyrene, twigs stuck in to make trees. And the old guys would come in and sort of give me little techniques and tips on how to make with using the static grass and all that sort of stuff. So I sort of learned about terrain. And then when we moved back to England when I was 15, yeah, I discovered White Dwarf and found out that there's a gate, an actual game I can play on my terrain. So I actually came to the terrain long before I came to the war game. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, I got the third edition. Yeah, uh, War on a Fantasy Battle was where I cut my teeth for my first war game. Yeah, but I built the terrain and that sort of stuff before I'd even, what you call it, even started which are actually painting my models and that sort of stuff. And I got a couple of mates from school and we got into it, then got into it from college. Yeah. Always had the terrain bug, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Took a few years off as, you know, it hit sort of adulthood, went to served, that sort of stuff, discovered beer, women, those sort of things. Got to my mid-20s, came back in on it. Yeah. And it, it stayed a hobby for, well, it stayed a hobby since, I, you know, my mid-20s. But... For the channel about seven years ago i had a bit of a mental health blip a bit of a bad breakdown you know couldn't work that sort of stuff and i used my hobby and sharing you know what i was doing terrain wise as sort of a way of connecting and you know feeling good and feeling like i'm doing something and helping someone you know productiveness you know keep connecting and it just spiraled you know and it connected and it grew out of control and seven years later here I am still, you know, I still consider myself very much the, the amateur terrain builder. You know, I, I I was when I was 15, you know, and I still make the same mistakes. You know, I can still walk in and see hills that are like so warped, they can spin, you can spin around like a spinning disc, you know, but I'm a little bit more forgiving of myself now. Just sand the bottom off, sand the bottom off till it's flat. Well, that's something that I do want to talk to you a little bit later about because I know um, I was making a bunch of volcanoes, I think two years ago or three years ago, and I made a massive error. error. Like I stuffed it up. And, and, you know, one of the things that I had was do I ditch it and start again or do I just like push through and try to find a way? So I do want to talk to you a little bit later yeah. about how you can potentially save a project because, boy, oh, boy, have I butchered some things. But it's interesting that... <clears throat> that was your kind of introduction to the hobby because mine was through a, uh, I guess, a necessity, like it was a, a forced necessity is, you know, I'm a Warhammer fantasy and, and, and 40K player at the time. I started, you know, mid to late 90s and terrain really wasn't a thing. Like there was no real terrain rules. Um, you, you had something for like to stop you, my, my, my great cannons and my volley guns destroying my, my friend Dave's undead. Like, you know, he wanted something to like block off of occasional Nagash. But, you know, like it was never really a big thing. And I remember getting this book called How to Make Wargaming Terrain by Games Workshop. And I know when you look at old white dwarves, it, this is a crazy thing for anyone who's joined the hobby lately. But Games Workshop would actually do tutorials on how to build terrain. And they would tell you about Railroad Scenic. They would talk about foam. They would talk about um, products that weren't theirs. It was absolutely insane when you think about the Games Workshop that we have today. But, you know, it was never really like I, I need certain things on my table because it was not, it was like a just a, a nice to have. And then I think it was third edition 40K brought out some like ruins and some trees. Yeah. and. Old edition had like the cardboard, you know, Bretonnia tents well, and, and jousting. 
The thing about the early days of Warhammer is Warhammer uh, fantasy battles sort of came from military sort of battles. If you think rank and file, the cannons, you know, okay, the fantasy, but you are very much replicating, you know, civil war, medieval war, that sort of structure, you know, and even going back even the way to the ancients. And all those battles were played on an open field, you know, because the commanders didn't want trees in the way. But what we've seen over time is people have gone more and more towards skirmish games where you really want your models to interact with terrain and cover and be more dynamic. And you're not you're not concerned of like I've got this six inch wide unit that I've got to move forward four inches and then pivot and get through a gap. You know, you know, so when you're playing old school, you want perhaps maybe one or two pieces in the field just to make very, you know, so you're just not lined up. You've got a couple of choices. When you start to make the skirmish games, you start going down to, I want as much terrain on there as possible because it makes everything so varied. So it's 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 not just how Games Workshop has changed. It's also the games, how they've changed. And we need more terrain now. Games expect terrain now. And I think if you were to put a flat game out now, I think people would be bored with it. It wouldn't have the same engagement. I mean, obviously not historical where you are replicating flat battles but if you were to come out with a game like you know what i mean third edition now yeah you know paint up these and you just every game you're going to fight over straight up and it's basically how you line it up and who goes first i don't think you'd have the traction because people are far more into the dynamicness of tables now and a lot of that's come from video games too. Things like, you know, Call of Duty and, and those types of games. You know, you're hiding behind a building before you come out and try to snipe and shoot and you're using terrain. I think for me, terrain really became something when I got into like Necromunda and yeah. Nordheim and even things games. like... Correct, correct. Where you actually... Because, you know, back in the day for anyone who, who who didn't play fantasy battles, a lot of your characters were hiding in those regiments. So... Your, your little hero or your general was never actually in the middle of the table fighting by no. himself. Or it, it was hiding in a, a regiment of 10, 20, 40, and you couldn't usually target them. You know, there was very specific rules. So you didn't have to hide. It was just how do I maximize a yeah. position? And as you said, you know, try to win that kind of you know, contest. Yeah, how hours. do I outflank? How do I outmaneuver and set myself up better than the opponent? You know, whereas... Uh, skirmish games, you know, they are very much right. You're reacting to every move and it is so dynamic because it's one chance. You know what I mean? I mean, it's why I like kill teams. I really like what you call it. Uh, games which immerse yourself in the terrain. You know, I I'm, I like what you call it, Hero Quest. Yeah, because I have a fully escaped up dungeon and it's another one that you lose yourself into the terrain. So even though I started with Fancy Battle, you know, for me, it was like I wanted more terrain. And I, I think that's what led me to 40K because I played 40K for about 15 years. Yeah. And then when I began the train shooter, it, I started playing a bit of everything, if you know what I mean, because I was exposed to a much broader sort of outside the, the GW sphere once I actually started doing the train shooter stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I think Sigma, and I, something that I've really enjoyed in Age of Sigma is that we have actually gained a whole bunch of, you know, a new appreciation for terrain. And, you know, it's not just having some cool things. You know, you are thinking line of sight. You are thinking about 
um, the mortal realms as well. I think it's probably another big thing is that no longer are we playing in essentially grassy England unless mm. you're fighting in like the jungles of Lustria. We're now fighting yeah. over or the realms. Of... Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, no. I'm, I'm an empire player, so I never, mm. I never got to fight in Norska. I was always defending the empire. But like, but now I can play in the realm of metal, and I think. When I think of my miniatures, I think of my terrain, I think of my board, and I think, right, if I want the realm of metal and I've got an abundance of metal, I've got lava, I've got, you know, some, like, what does that look like? What does the realm of death look like? There's so, you know, is it just a, a big graveyard? Is there something more? You know, there are stories of, um, the living and the dead living side by side, you know, the, the humans living with their ancestors and a culture like that. What does that look like? And how do I build terrain? How do I build a display board? And, you know, we're in armies of parade season at the moment. Yeah. And, you know, let's have this, like, how do I bring my story to life? Which is, again, a really exciting thing about what we're going to talk about. It's a challenge for sure. I mean, the one thing that GW did do really well was they invested in describing the realms in the book. You know, especially the latest Dominion one, it's, it's, it's quite good. You know, it's slap bang from the start. You open the book, and before, you know, it's before the rules. It's before, I mean, it's table of contents. Then let's tell you about the realms, you know, and they immerse you in it. And, the, you know, they've sectioned each realm off with a map and an idea of everything. So they've given you the basic guide. You know, what you'd basically need to do is realistically, if you want something that's good, you're going to have to pick a realm. Yeah, because you're going to have to invest in a specific set and not just one set, but perhaps two. Yeah. So you've got a bit of a variety and you're not always playing with the same set. See, when you play the leafy England, yeah, trees are trees and hills are hills and rivers are rivers and they can be North American or they can be European or they can be Japanese. When your trees are made out of metal or they're on fire. Yeah. They only stick, you know, that's the issue with going with a theme terrain. So, you know, it, with AOS, you've really got to pick your realm and go, this is where I play. Yeah. If you want thematic terrain. Yeah. And, and that's really exciting, at least for me, because it asks me and, I, and that's going to be one of my first questions in a minute is like, where do you get inspiration from? Because when I think of the mortal realms and I think of, and this, and this is reflective of anyone, if you're listening to this and you've joined me from, uh, from Mel's channel and you're like, right, you know, I really want to build something from world war two. I want to build something cause I play saga and I want something more Viking esque, or, you know, I'm going to be raiding and I want to be fighting on, you know, you know, some other Island or whatever it might be. You know, for me, it's like, how do I draw inspiration and how do I bring this story to life? But before I ask you that question and you respond, What's the craziest thing that you've ever built? Craziest thing? I once built a six-foot-long hill, yeah? It was a commission, and the guy wanted it as a single piece. It was it was that for a historical game, yeah? And it was this battle over this ridge line, yeah? And he'd started off, and he'd given me, he'd given me the scales wrong as he'd worked out the maps and everything. Yeah, and he, he he thought he was getting a two foot hill, and so we sort of said everything. And then I had to sit down and go, no, actually, if you look at the scales with your miniatures, if you want to do this battle historically, yeah, it's going to have to be five foot eight inches long, yeah. And you know, there was a quiet pause, yeah. And I was like, well, perhaps we could, you know, we can do like the edge, and we can do two hills. And he's like, no, it has to be the hill. 
Yeah, and he was one of these sticklers, and I ended up making a six foot long. Six foot. Six that's foot. bigger than that's bigger than the gaming tables we normally play on in in Warhammer. Yeah, well, I mean, the ones nowadays, the old school, it just reached the end. But the thing is, I had to make it on a four foot table. <laughs> I, I was constantly having to shove this this hill from one side so the bit i was working on was on the table and slide it back across the other yeah because who needs a, a six foot working space <laughs> i thought i thought this was one of your craziest I, this is one of yours right I just, yeah that's my yeah. board i did for foreground and osprey yeah I, I remember seeing this actually when I was playing Frostgrave as well, and I thought this was just incredible. I would, I really enjoyed Frostgrave again, another skirmish game, and you know, use the terrain, use the snowy landscapes. It's such a cool, uh, a cool game. But again, you could kind of bring that into Age of Sigmar. But I talked inspiration. I said to you that I want to get this, the kind of the terrain discussion going because I've got like millions of questions, and I'll be, I'll, I'll be here until you know you, you've got to go, Anthony. I need to use the bathroom. Can we just kick on? How do you get stuck? How do you how do you get the ideas going for terrain? Because my imagination just goes wild, and I, I've got so many things that are impractical, not worth exploring. Uh, a good idea for half a second, and then things that I really want to explore, and you know, an idea becomes something great. So how do you start? I start by always making notes. Yeah, I've got my book. Yeah, and. Whenever I have any sort of terrain idea, whether it's a technique, whether it's a set, whether it's a build, I just put some notes in there, yeah? Because once it's down in there, it's floating around in my head. And then as I go through life over the next week, month, year, yeah, I will see things that sort of, oh, that'll work for that. Things will add on to it. Quite often when you you sort of like, I need inspiration, you have brain choke. You know, the moment you need to think about something, everything goes away. Yeah, so just making it sort of like making a note, putting some stuff there so it's there and you don't have to consciously think about it, yeah, and stepping away. Your brain will very quickly come up with loads of stuff to throw in there. The other thing that I do a lot of, I used to say read books, watch films, yeah. Now I just say Google Images. Once you've got a few key terms, just jump on Google Images and just go browsing, yeah, because Google Images will throw up related searches to your terms. And it's very much like the YouTube rabbit hole. You can sometimes go down on like, you know, 11 o'clock on a Saturday night. You know, you find something interesting that leads to something else. And then the next thing you know, you're making rice paddies because you've seen a great picture. You know, that's literally the process. So whereas I used to say, oh, you know, get books, watch films, you know, but take photos while you're out. Now Google being Google, the whole earth is there for you, you know. Think about search terms rather than builds. You know, Viking buildings will get you a lot of inspiration on, you know what I mean? As simple as that. And once you start drill down and you start hearing about, you know, certain specific temples from history, or, you know, it's a related search. And then you drill down into that. And you start finding amazing architecture. I mean, I've always said, don't worry about making something weird in wargaming because humans have already made it somewhere in human civilization on this planet. Because my feed on Facebook, I follow weird trees, weird buildings, groups, stuff like that. And it, it's just a constant rely of, it doesn't matter how badly I screw it up, it'll still look natural compared to that thing. You know, I see trees where it's like, I would laugh at that if someone said that was a tree in wargaming. But it's actually a tree, there are trees like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's so, 
for me, uh, online, yeah, but main thing is think about search terms, yeah, when it comes to inspiration, because it's a lot easier to think about search terms than visualize what you're going to build. And then when you jump on Google Images, you can very quickly go, I like that bit of that, but we could put it with that, and then I could put it, base it in that sort of environment with that color scheme, and just start dragging images down into a folder. You know, and it's literally grab it, drag it, drop it on your desktop, you know? And, you, you know, you can do this just as you're you know, having a game, while you're answering your emails at work, you know, just have it open in a screen, pick, drop a few things, build a catalog up, and it doesn't take long for, you know, things to really take off and you really get an idea of what you want to build in the set and stuff. So that's my recommendation for inspiration. Search terms first and then hit the internet. Yeah, I, especially I do broad search terms. Um, I find that, you know, whenever I go in a very specific thing like, you know, uh, Mayan temple, sandstone, you know, I had this very specific niche and like I don't, I never find what I really want. But if I just go with like, ruin mine temple or you know aztec temple i can always ruin it myself i can always yeah. paint it sandstone you know i can I, if i just have a really broad search i'll get so many great ideas and as you said whether i, I download it or i make a little pinterest board or something like that uh by the way you've got a whole bunch of fans in the chat talking about your burma build as well um absolutely awesome i don't have a picture of the burma build but um your jungle terrain, by the way, is just awesome. And I, I love, it's so simple. I didn't realize how simple it is to do jungle terrain and how a quick eBay search, and I'll talk to you about, about um, products in a second, but you could buy so much like aquarium trees oh, yeah. that can then be turned into Warhammer trees, like jungles so cheaply and they look really good and they're practical. And yeah. that's another part of that's important for terrain is it doesn't have to just look good but you're going to be putting models on top of it. You might be transporting it. So it has to be practical as well. Yeah, most definitely. But jungle terrain is really easy to do. It's more about composition and look, the finishing touches, you know, but if you can get those right, you know, jungles are really easy to knock out. And it's so, so nice to jungle up a table because it's, it's a rarity, you know? So when you get a good jungle table, you know, everyone's sort of like, yeah, I like that. They look good. And, you know, you can do things like water effects and make it all wet-like. You can, um, you know, have these weird and wonderful trees because, again, the jungle has doesn't have your traditional oak tree. It is no. these crazy, bizarre um, – and you can also, like, do some crazy creatures as well. I love – yeah, I love jungle terrain. <laughs> well, I'm planning on putting a predator in my jungle terrain, yeah? I'm going to camouflage it up. Yeah, and hide him in one of the scatter pieces. And I've always had this idea that I, loads of manufacturers ask to borrow sets off me, yeah, for their when they're doing like product photography. So I'm gonna wait until someone asks for some jungle terrain, drop, you know, send them those those scatter pieces with one with the predator off, and then just keep my gob completely shut, wait for the book to come out and go through the photos to see if I can see their beautiful like World War II minis. And then just in a blurred scatter piece in the background, yeah, there's predator in a tree. Uh, hopefully, it doesn't infringe IP. Um, as 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 a book publisher now, Mel, you should know that. Oh yeah, uh, artistic <laughs> license. It's a one-off. I can get away with that as as an artist. <laughs> That's my line. That's that's sweet and like you know like you know mel you've got so many tutorials on your channel so if people want to look for inspiration on how do i build jungle you know there's some wonderful terrain um terrain uh, tutorials that i've followed 
But, you know, getting into maybe the start and um, like if I wanted to get started, I'm watching this video and I'm like, I want to get started building terrain, um, but I don't know where to start. What are some of the, the pieces of whether it's material or tools? Um, do I need to go out and buy everything from the hardware store no. and go buy a hot mm -hmm. wire cutter and go no. buy, you know, like, like what are some of the most common things that someone could start with maybe in their garage? Need. All you need, really need is a decent blade, you know, like an X-Acto blade because there's cutting involved. You need some filler, some PVA glue, some foam if you can get it, a little bit of grit, yeah. When it comes to brushes, a kiddie set. I, I use kiddies craft brushes, you know, like a one-pound bag of all sorts of different width. And they're typically plastic fibres, which are great for terrain because they're really durable. You know, you can give them a hammer and they last for ages. And it, once they're knackered, you know, it was a dollar <laughs> buy another set. You know, you know, so you don't worry about using filler with them, that sort of stuff. When it comes to making terrain, the first piece I sort of recommend is to make simple CD scatter pieces, which are scatter pieces based on old compact discs, because they're the only useful we've got for them now, you know. <laughs> yeah, and we've all got DVDs and that sort of stuff. And so it's really easy to put a bit of filler on there. Yeah, put a couple of model trees, you know, a couple of small rocks from the garden, a little bit of carved foam fill around it, paint it up. I've got tutorials, uh, let's make cheap and easy uh, CD scatter terrain, yeah? And the best things about those is when you do CD scatter, yeah, it's such small scale that you don't really worry about messing it up, yeah? Because you're doing a few of them, so they don't have to be perfect, you're learning as you go. But they teach you all the core techniques of landscaping. So if you can do a CD piece, you can then base a ruin building, yeah, mm. so the only thing you've got to do then to step up is figure out how to do the ruin building because you've already got the basing down. Yeah, and that's how you step it up. So I always recommend start off with CD, yeah, because you can get filler, you can get PVA, you can get grit from the garden, you get rocks from the garden. Model trees are available from most places and most war gamers buy their trees. Yeah, it's only when you get hardcore that you start actually making your own. But for your first few, most people just buy a pack, yeah, from the railway store. So that's perfectly legit. And then simple, small pieces, which take the pressure off. And you'll be using those scatter pieces forever because they're dead easy just to drop down and create like a broken landscape. You know, not a wood, not an open field, sort of in between. Yeah, and it works really well. So that's what I'd recommend. And you don't need your essentials are basically, you know, a decent ruler, a decent blade, your PVA, your filler, your grits and some paint brushes when it comes to your paint you're using tester pots of house paint so you're paying a dollar you know what i mean yeah uh typically you might need to buy you know if you're doing a, a city set or a lot of rocks you might want to pick up one or two terrain builders we tend to build, pick our, our gray up by five liter cans you know, <laughs> you know but if you're doing a set I, I, you know a couple of browns a couple of light grays yeah and then two dark grays for your base coating yeah, and you're good to go, mate. You know, I, I, I ten pound. You know, ten pound gets you in the game, all in. It's it's surprising when you look around and you and you think to yourself, you know, I want to be a terrainiac. I'm going to start building terrain at home. What do I have available to me? It's amazing what you've got. You know, I remember building some Necromunda terrain, and I wanted some very you know, um, very, you know, recycly type, you know, electronic type of, you know, activity. I went to my garage and there are so many little bits 
I pulled together, I had like an old computer sitting in my garage and I put out little bits and, you know, the electronic knobs and there were different mm -hmm. things off motherboards that I no longer needed that turned really well into terrain. I look around my house and I had some sand already. And you, you said earlier, yeah. you know, um, the, the grit that might be in your, um, in your garden, you know, you, you can bake it, you can bake it and kind of get rid yeah. of those micro, the, the little microorganisms in there. Yeah. 200 um, degrees C I, for 20 minutes. Yeah. And I remember learning um, about, you know, coffee, you know, using your ground up coffee to make up possibly terrain. Um, you know, you've got a technique that I, I fell in love with. I don't remember if we talked about it pre-show or already, but you would use aluminium foil and you roll yeah. it up in a ball to create texture. Because one of the problems I had with, with, with foam was that you can tell where a piece of terrain is foam. You know, yeah. you see these very sharp, you know, either levels or you see like the jagged cuts from a knife. Yeah. And it's like, well, how do I blend this in? How do I make it fun, blend it in, make rock faces and not make it as jagged? And you have this technique around scrunching up a bit of foam, a metal, a metal, um, like an aluminum foil, yeah. and you can roll it over and it kind of, the foam eats the texture so it'll hold. Yeah. But it looks natural. It's a good technique, but get it. I mean, in my studio, I've got two studios now full of equipment, materials, tools. Yeah. And I still probably use the same handset of tools, the same few brushes, you know, the same blade. You know, the vast majority is occasional use. You know, I need something specific for this job, you know, but. Yeah. Once you've got that basic tenor set, I mean, you can get set up for terrain making cheaper than you can buy a box of Space Marines. You know, so there's no reason why. And you've got to remember, the essentials of terrain making is just big basing. So if you're coming from the hobby community, if you've done models, you already know how to put grit and flock and stuff. It's just working on a larger area. Yeah. And, you know, the idea of, oh, I've got to do ruins. OK, well, you've got to make them, but you make models that you base. So you've based stuff before. So that a lot of the skills are actually transferable from what you've already done. I mean, we still paint terrain in the same way we paint models. We base coat it. We dry brush it. We give it a wash. Yeah, it's just a different material and a different sort of end product. But it's surprisingly easy. To call you out on something you mentioned earlier, because you've said, you know, we paint models, right? And, you know, if you're painting with Citadel or Vallejo or Army Paints or whatever paint that, you know, if I'm going to build wargaming terrain with these little dropper bottles, that is a very no. expensive, that's yeah. very expensive, right? But you yeah. mentioned a really good tip that I borrowed, I think, from you, which was um, your hardware stores sell yeah. these um, house paints and you can buy little little pots, which is great. But what you can also do is, um, at least my my hardware stores, is they will color match for you. So if you bring yeah. in a little swab of about, you know, I don't know, an inch by an inch of a color, they will match that and then build the um, the, the sample pot for you. So yeah. if you wanted to use, you know, Mechanicus Grey or if you wanted uh, Xandri Dust, there was a specific Games Workshop or Vallejo or whatever color that you want, I you, want you want to match it. I colour matched my first gaming board when I was 15, yeah, to Goblin Green. My mum organised it for me, yeah, and she had to match this base and this colour from Games Workshop for this little skeleton. And she did a brilliant job. She bought gloss, though. Yeah, so I had this gloss green thing. 
it's all shiny it's all wet but bad bones made a really good comment it's like once you start you know getting into war gaming and terrain making the things that you see you know in your daily activities you're like oh that would make a really good piece and that does stem into your hobby it does into your miniatures and you know you're thinking about landscapes you think about you know building up a base a little bit so you can have some water puddles yeah. you can think about you know just different things and it really does level up not just your, your tables I did that PDF for the Kickstarter with the 50 Shades of Basin. And I just brought, you know, here's a whole load of different landscaping techniques you can use on bases. You know, and that went down really well because just the sheer amount of different techniques that you can actually lay down from like snow and frozen stuff to lava and the lot. And there's so many other things like, um, you know, you can, um, you know, you can, I remember making hedges up um with your scourer you know the thing yeah. that you you know you, you clean obviously use a clean one don't go use a dirty scourer and um and make terrain with it you know buying um cheap or even you know cheap paint brushes i can cut off the uh cut the, the bristles off yeah. and make little reeds for for water effects and yeah like when you start looking at things you're like right what can i use around my house you'd be surprised how many great, cheap, effective things you can build to make interesting and practical wargaming terrain. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've got a Mr. Maker's Wall full of stuff like that, just full of random bits that you pick up. Car boots are great, all that sort of stuff. I, I have a little, like, crate on my fridge. Whenever I see something cool, it goes in my pocket, and I just throw it in the crate, and then next time, you know, it gets full, I just take it to the studio, drop it into a drawer, and bottle caps, all that sort of stuff, plastic pipes, you know. But that's the joy of terrain making. It, you know, your materials are all about depending on what you want to make. I mean, you want to make a desert, you're laughing. Often we're outside in your garden. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, you can use Twix if you want to make it realistic. Yeah. And we'll talk about practicality in a minute. But, like, just to give you an example, you know, here are some things that Mel has created over time. And you can see that all this is is just – um mdf you can buy these boards of mdf from the hardware store um whether it's three mil or six mil you know you've beveled the edges to kind of yeah. you know how it's not just like a hard piece of terrain and that's just traditional insulation foam right that's just yeah yeah xps bog standard insulation foam and every country's got a different color i think america might have a blue and you know pink the, the, versions of it the color is actually the insulation rating how dense it oh. is. Yeah, but there's no sort of standardized rating. So each company who makes it uses their own sort of system. Yeah, so depending on which country you are, different color foams work better. That would make sense. And like for me, this is dirt cheap. You get a massive board and you can do some really interesting things. That's just, you know, you've just used a, a hobby knife to kind of cut things out. And then you kind of go into something like this where, yeah. Um, this is more your uh, aquatic. Well, you've got a, a mixture of aquatic and trees and got, in there. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a good work. You know, mixing up cheap stuff with some wargaming stuff, and it spreads out your set. And it looks great too. And I think you know when you look at eBay and you put in you know cheap, or if you look at you know um, uh, aquatic trees, you know that you get a lot, a lot of great value and a lot of variety. But again, you know, like uh, if I look at some of the things that you've done, they're simple, they're easy, but they look great when they're painted up, obviously. Yeah, I mean, that, that's actually bobbly foam. <laughs> so, I mean, to get stone texture out of bobbly foam, I mean, dead easy. Just stipple it with filler. You know, you can't even tell it's bobbly anymore. 
and that's probably why you would go with the um, the hardware foam folks instead of uh, the maybe something that comes with your Amazon packaging because yeah. the Amazon packaging they they are bigger bubbles. So when you start cutting into it, you don't get these nice clean cuts. You get bubbles and ridges that you could still use. Like don't don't oh, throw yeah. away good 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 material. I mean, it depends. I mean, you can cut it quite cleanly with a sharp knife and steady, and you can sand it. I mean, I've made concrete bunkers out of it where you couldn't tell it was you know, expanded foam over XPS in the past. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter as long as you go for it. You just have fun. I love this as well because, you know, you can use a hot, a hot this is a hot glue gun, right? You've used a yeah. hot glue gun to create the lava coming out of whatever it might be. And when you put on those reds, yellows, and oranges, it looks really good. It looks like this flowing lava. And you can do some wonderful, you know, interesting patterns with your lava. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's about just picking, you know, being a little bit creative with what you've got, if you know what I mean. You know, right, what does this do? How does it work? You know, what's the end result? Because, I mean, at the end of the day, we, we're constantly using building materials and hardware materials and stuff like that. So we're using materials that aren't designed for terrain making. So, I mean, luckily, there's a lot of tutorials from me and other great crafters out there. You know what I mean? And showing you, like, well, you can take this and do it with this. But we've got this rolling thing of... New stuff comes along all the time, you know, so you've got to get this sort of idea of let's have a play. Let's see how this turns out. I mean, I can do 101 things with filler. You know, I can, I can do everything from I, I can do waves. I can do streams. I can do cracked ice with filler just by how I shape it, how I work it. Yeah. But that's just come from years of how, well, not saying I'm going to figure out how to make cracked ice, but going. Actually, that looks a bit like, can I, let's have a play with that. Oh, bloody mm. hell. You know what I mean? And so when you're doing terrain making, you've got to really sort of just let the, the guard down and saying there isn't a strict way of doing this. I'm just going to give it a go, see how it turns out and learn from your techniques and your experiments. I, I always, always surprised, like my, there's a hobby shop that I go into and it's it's an interesting hobby shop because it's not my traditional Warhammer store or it's not even a traditional wargaming, you know, friendly local game store. It has, not only does it have Warhammer and those types of things, but it has like the Asian gum, gun, Gundam and yeah. you've also got your railroad terrain. And it's interesting. So when I used to first go there, I don't need to go worlds colliding, in it. <laughs> it's three worlds. Like it's three worlds because I've got the Warhammer crowd. I've got the, uh, the Gundam crowd and I've got the railway crowd. And normally I just walk in and I go straight into specifically great. Cause it used to, you know, where I'd buy my Vallejo and my yeah. uh, airbrush paints. And cause you know, games workshop doesn't sell the Vallejo medals, for example. Yeah. But I decided one day to actually go have a look at the Gundam and there is some crazy techniques and tools Little things like, you know, I know this is a painting thing, but it looks like a, an ear swab, but it's pointed out like an eye. So you can get into the eyes really easily, just like with a little dot. And and it kind of blew me away. And then I kind of walk over into the railroad crowd and you see things, and I know you've used them, yeah. things like the, um, the, rock the, rock, the, rock, the rock molds where simple was it plaster of Paris or whatever. Yeah. And, and they look awesome. They do. They do. The end result's brilliant on stuff like that. The thing is, there's so many scenic hobbies, yeah, and we spent so so much time being so insular, yeah, that the moment you sort of go out of your bubble and you start seeing these things, 
it's like I can use that with that. I can use that with that. I mean, there used to be a time, yeah, when 40k tanks looked cartoonish because you base coated. I mean, you painted them like you painted your models. Base coat. I mean, you did dry brush. You know, maybe a bit of a wash. And then all of a sudden, a couple of people top painters in 40k discovered military modeling and their techniques with oils and all this and pigments. And all of a sudden, yeah, every vehicle that's coming out for 40k now looks uber realistic. Except, you know, and it used to be that the military modelers could turn around and go, well, we've obviously got the best model tanks. And then the 40Kers with their sort of, well, we're going over the top, did military-style modelling. But I'm going to paint a fresco on the side of this Land Raider as well. You know, so it's like, yeah, we're taking this off you. You know, it's very much like the terrain builders. It's like, <coughs> oh, that's a lovely railway town. Very quaint. I'm going to take all your techniques and build a huge vampire castle. <laughs> you know, it's like the one thing about the wargame terrain builders is we live in a world of science fiction and fantasy. So for us, it's like, no limits. We'll take your techniques and we'll go to town with them. Yeah. Oh, you may use those military uh, modeling techniques. I'm going to use it on this tank, which is half demon. You know, half of it is tentacles and it still looks great with its scorching effects on the, on the last cannon muzzles and stuff like that. You know, when I did my Imperial Guard, in fact, here we go. One sec. Yeah, go, go, go. I love this. I look, this, this, this is unscripted content. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, I did. What you call it? I went full to town. I'm going to bring it up. Hold on one second. I'm going to bring yeah. you up on the big screen. Um, yeah. So I went full to town with my watcher at Hellhammer. Yeah, because I wanted that really realistic sort of look. Yeah, you can tell. You can tell. And I think, yeah, that's awesome. I love it. And I, I love the idea that you're stealing ideas and techniques that are proven and, like, I'll look at, like, the Dungeons & Dragons type terrain building, right? Because, you know, people like it's a Black Magic Craft. And, yeah, yeah. And there's, a, there's some really cool terrain guys out there. Um, DMG and Nerd Forge as well. Like, she does amazing things. But you've got all these different ideas where you're like, right, well, how do I make it Age of Sigmar-y? I'll go to Luke Towen, um, who does a lot of railroad yeah. type videos. And, you know, he does some incredible things. And, like, they're not practical. Like, what Luke does, because he's a very much, like, scenic display board, don't yeah. touch my stuff. He, he's a um, museum piece. Yeah. Call it. You know, he, he his stuff would belong in a museum, showing you how a mine works or how a dam works. You know what I mean? A, an educational dioramist. But I'll look at that and go, right, how do I take what Luke is doing and then make it Warhammery? Um, and then I'll look at some of the Gundam stuff and, and Gundam does a really good water effects, I think, because mm. a lot of, a lot of their machines and a lot of their creatures are fighting either in water coming out yeah. of some type of watery cave. And they do, you know, these really dynamic water effects, not just like a, some, some ripples. But well, it's common in Japanese subculture, isn't it? With regards to the, the monsters, they, with, I, with what you, it's either got to come out of a volcano or it's got to come out of the sea because there's nothing else really left in Japan. <laughs> So between, you know what I mean, where it comes from, you know, it's either there, it's either the top or the bottom. <laughs> but that taught me about little glass beads and like using fishing wire to, uh, if I want to create like splash water, I can get like a little fishing wire, get some glass beads and then like get some of the UV resin. Yeah. And then that allows me, and like I was thinking about going, well, 
that could be really good for the Eidneth Deepkin, for example. If I wore a monster that was, you know, like a, a, a gargant in the water, stomping its way through the ocean. And again, it was a technique. And I guess the point I'm trying to make here, folks, is that there are techniques outside of our hobby that when you look at it and go, right, how do I age a Sigma fire? You, you'd be amazed on what's available to you. And this kind of leads into what's happening literally right now as we are uh, recording is we're in Halloween. Halloween. Yeah. Mel, why is this important? Why is this a good time to talk Halloween? Especially because oh. I'm not American and you're not American. Oh, Halloween is skull season. Yeah. Uh, the shops are going to be filled with skulls and bones and plastic this, hard plastic this and that. And then very quickly, it's going to be discounted. Yeah. Which means it's going to be cheap as hell. Yeah. And you can do really easy stuff with that, you know. I mean, the, the, the Blood Skull Temple. I mean, that's down there at the minute. Yeah, I've got, I've picked up some more skulls. Yeah, so you can do an entire Age of Sigmar board for like $20. That's so cheap, yeah. And like, I, if you I look know. at this, like if you look at it, you've you've uh, you've used some, what, some Daz or some... Um, some yeah, uh, Daz Palace. Yeah, Daz modeling putty, stippled with a bit of filler, and then foam for around the head outside, and obviously the horns and watch clip. It's one skull, and then the other skulls are just a bag of, of cheap skulls. It was like, couldn't believe it. Believe it. I, I found this in, it was like just a bag. And it's like, I'll have that one, and I'll have that one. I'll just take the rack. And I just took the rack, and I think I spent about £10 on these little skulls, and I've got about 150 of them in a drawer in the studio. Just waiting for when I really want to do a real good vampire counts dark world. You know what I mean? A crypt world. Yeah, no, it's great. And, and like you'll see it, like when you start opening your eyes up, you know, you'll go through um, and find really cheap, you know, makeup brushes as well, which is great. You know, there's just so many things out there you can just borrow. But I think for me, you know, you, you mentioned railway rail, rail, railway trees, yeah. uh, things like Woodland Scenics does great products, uh, Mod Podge. Um, textured paints. I, I, it blew me away when I found that, you know, things like Vallejo uh, as an example. By the way, this show is not sponsored by Vallejo. I know I keep talking about them. I just love their products. But they they sell um, texture paints in really large scale. So you don't have to go mm. and buy these tiny top pots of water. No. Um, uh, and you, they even sell things like muddy, muddy kind of um, ground. So if you want to have like your tank go through it or, you know, some type of like, yeah. you know, monster it's, tracks. It's all, for, I mean, Vallejo is a military modeling company. Yeah. That's where they come from. They come from the scale model, middle diorama stuff. So they've got a load of specialist materials, a bit like the guys at AK, you know, mm. they do loads of really nice special. And my, my sort of policy is I'll use them. Yeah. If the project warrants it. Yeah, so if I, if it, if I've spent ages doing this beautiful building and I want to weather it up, then I'll go. All right, I'll use the specialist stuff because I'm not going to be using that much, and I've put way too much time in this to use the DIY stuff and maybe have a, a mistake or something like that. Yeah, generally the DIY stuff, you know, I mean texture paint, it's paint with filler in. You know, make your own. You can easily make these things very simply. Yeah, but. They do have a place in terrain making when you want to get it just right. And quite often, what brings terrain to life isn't the grandiose of it. It's the occasional little deta details that pull it in and raise the standard of the terrain, if you know what I mean. Yeah, so just adding a few little gribblies to your basic foam board buildings, yeah, 
takes them from simple boxes to detailed buildings. Yeah, so they may be specialist modeling things, but that's 90, 95% of the pieces scrapboard build. Yeah, it's just the little bits. And, and with specialist modeling materials, it's the same there. So that's the rest of my studio is all the specialist stuff because there is so much in the specialist tools of, you know what, I've got the perfect glue or I've got the perfect material for this. Yeah, but it's no way needed. Because most of the time it's kids' craft paints, kids' acrylics, you know, and just crack on. Yeah, like I, I, I think I bought my hot glue gun from a craft store, and you know, yeah. you just go, you don't need to go and buy all the crazy stuff. And like when you when you talk about the uh, the crazy stuff, you go to somewhere like Green Stuff World. Again, I'm not sponsored, but you go to Green Stuff World, and you just see how much they've got. You know, they've got yeah. roller texture pins. You know, you can go buy some modeling clay. To, to do some really nice floorboards. I mean, they have, got, some... have you seen their molds? Uh, which molds? They, they do brick molds and part molds. Oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Just yeah. pull a caster in and you've got bricks and stuff for your bases and engine parts and stuff like that. Perfect little scatter for your ruins and stuff like that. And because you're buying a mold, you can make as many as you want. It's similar to like the Hearst Arts molds. I think for yeah. me, like one of my friends was got really deep into Hearst Arts. The problem that I found from wargaming point of view is you're often using, was it Plaster of Paris? Yeah, yeah exactly. It, it gets really heavy. It yeah. can get damaged easily. And I think that's probably like the practicality side. And like it gets really, it looks lovely. And you it build does, things like castles and. It does, but it's not mobile. You know, it's very much for static display or small stuff. The good one with Hearst Arts is the, the medieval tavern mold because it's got a load of barrels and crates and stuff yes. in it. Yeah. And so just buying that one mold for, I think, like $20 or $25. Yeah. You get like five or six different jars and, and tubs and little water buckets. And if you're doing like fantasy terrain or anything like that, like Mordheim or anything like that, it's just perfect for adding your gribblies. I mean, just spend a Sunday knocking molds out. And you've got so many barrels and stuff. It's just, they're just great. So quite often, you don't need to buy into the whole range. But when you look at these molds and stuff like that, like Scenic Forge and a few others, yeah, uh, just having a browse through and like that mold will give me 10 items I can add to my terrain bases to make them look more realistic. Yeah. And the best thing about molds is they're reusable you know so you're not limited by i've got to buy so many of these then i've got to buy so many more it's just put it down keep casting yeah and then for your entire set you've got all your barrels and everything like that and they do sci-fi and you know but mold making is a great leveling up terrain is about the gribblies so anything that can mass produce gribblies such as the 3d printer i'm fully on board well that was where I wanted oh. to go. We've we've been dancing around the three the three D printer thing because you know spoiler secrecy here. Uh, I when I when I was got I got into to, to the tournament terrain building. It got to a point where I'm like, right, I need too much terrain. I don't have the scale because I run the YouTube channel yeah. as well, let alone having a full time job. How do I scale and get like 500, 600 pieces to have a large tournament? Lo and behold, I can set and forget a piece of terrain on a 3d printer so i guess the burning question that i've got maybe the the pink elephant in the room is why would i build my own terrain versus using a 3d printer or is there a or is there a well for both of them kind of like co-living co horses for courses mate yeah uh, at the end of the day i mean if you're a gamer yeah and you're the sort of person who will go out and buy a gw plastic kit 
quickly glue it together and spray paint it, then you might as well 3D print as well, because at least you get some variety. Yeah, because at the end of the day, you're the person who's looking for the end terrain product. Yeah, which so you're not really looking for the experience and the hobby of terrain building. Yeah, whereas there's other people who actually take pride in, you know, enjoy the terrain building side and creating everything from scratch. Yeah, and take pride in that process. And for them, the actual production of the item is actually rewarding. So for me, uh, 3D printing is great for the industry. Yeah, because it just enables gameplay. I don't think it's ever going to replace terrain building because 3D printing in its own right is its own independent hobby. I mean, you get people who just... 3D print things for the sake of 3D printing them. There's entire Facebook groups. You know what I mean? You know, yeah, we've both been in those Facebook groups. Uh, no, no, I'm talking about myself. I've got like He-Man sword. I've got like, you know, the, the hammer of, of Sigmar. I've got, I, I've got a, I remember. I've got a I remember my, <laughs> <laughs> I think the, one of the weirdest things I ever printed was, um, I don't know if you've ever played the game The Sims. But there's um in, in the game The Sims, you have these little diamonds above your head, and someone yeah. was going to a so one of my, my friends' wives or wife's friends was going to a, a costume party. So I got like a transparent green uh, filament and I yeah. made that triangle for above there. Yeah. And I think, you know, like when I think about 3D printing, because you're right, like you know, it, it's very much like buying a stock standard um piece of terrain off the table. There's a little bit more creativity and a yeah. bit more variety. But like you mentioned, you know, the customization is not quite there unless you know how to you, you've got, um, you've 3D got to model. Stop. Yeah, you've got to know how to 3D model. But at the same time, there's a load of files and a load of simple software that you can just manipulate things. For me, what's what 3D printing for me falls into the bracket of the gribbly stuff. Very much like my Hearst Arts molds. You know, I'm quite happy going to your manufacturer and I'll use your mold to replicate my barrels because I need a ton of them. Yeah. Oil drums. You want to play 40K? The future is dark and full of oil drums. You know, so having a 3D printer. Did, 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 did. So little things like that, it's a godsend. When it comes to the bigger terrain pieces, I can model them myself. But at the same time, it's nothing to say that you can't do your gothic windows for your phone board build on a 3D printer. Yeah, which means you can put together, hot glue together some simple phone boards, some rough cuts for the windows, then drop some really nice fascias in that you've 3D printed, which is going to maximize how quickly you can put terrain together. But above all, yeah, people see 3D printing as a replacement, and it isn't. It's a tool in our hobby. It has a place, and for each person, much like there'll be some people, I do all my work with a blade. There'll be other people, I do all my work with a hot wire cutter. It's however you want to work. You know what I mean? Yeah, above all, don't poo-poo something. You know, because, oh, that's not my hobby. Just say, well, where does it fit in my hobby? Does it have a place in my hobby? Is it going to help me? I mean, at the end of the day, if I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy little plastic ribblies, I might as well get a 3D printer and actually get the ones I want and print them at home exactly how I want them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it has a place even with the most ardent terrain builders. Because I don't care how good you are, at some point you're going to buy some specialist modeling materials. Well, I remember like oh, I was watching Luke, like it was Luke Town doing um, like 3D printing little fish. Like yeah. you want a little fish in the water and, you know, I don't know where you buy little fish. No, no game store is going to be stocking little fish. It's such a niche thing that you want. Mm. Um, but, you know, I think that, I think there's a really nice world where um, 
I don't exclusively just work with foam. I don't just exclusively work with, you know, a certain type of product. It's about using the right tool at the right time. I'll go to the hardware store and I'll buy hardware tools, things like beveling, you know, making sure that I've got MDF and sand and all of the things I'll go to the hardware store for. But then I'll go to the craft store and I'll buy different things. I, I, t- I, t- I tell you a little story, uh, Mel. I've been building my armies on parade board for this year. And um, something that I did was I, I built like this blood cult and um uh, it's all like very slanesh So there's like, you know, gold and treasures. Mm. And I had a games workshop kit that's um, like a base. It's like a, a base that's like this big of, of treasure. And I cut yeah. it in half. And then I had this problem. I was like, right, I, I needed to cut it in half because it was going to like surround my, my my temple build. But then I'm like, how do I fill in the daz and the 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 mound and create coins that look exactly the same as what's on the board? And I'll tell you a little secret how I found it. I looked for glitter and I couldn't find glitter that worked. Although glitter is a good good option. Yeah. I found a belt punch. So I bought a belt punch back in the day when I, you know, I was training really hard and I was losing weight and like, you know, and like I was just like clip, clip, clipping that belt, clipping that belt. And I found it and it was perfect because I then just like flattened some green stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, use that little punch. Or was it one of the little multi ones which have the different? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I've yeah. got one in the studio. Through, get your plastic on But no one in their right mind would have thought I'm going to use a hole punch from a belt, uh, a belt thing to make terrain. It's at the end of the day, it's about looking at what you got and what you can use it for. You know what I mean? And that's the joy of this because there is no standard. You know what I mean? It's all open. So, you know, give it a go. And if it works, post on YouTube about it so we can all have a go. Would you say, um, and just Alex in the chats asked a, a good question, just in case anyone might have missed the, the top of the show, but, you know, is there any things that you might start off building? Um, we mentioned, you know, hills and rocks yeah. and using the CD technique of, you know, using something. Yeah. Are they the type of things that you would use that yeah, are like yeah, beginner-friendly? I- yeah, I'd start off with the CDs. Then I'd, I'd look at actually basing perhaps some GW stuff. Just get one set because once you've actually made those, you've made your first proper bit of terrain, yeah, and you've done a decent-sized base as well, which means you've got all your basing and your core skills down and your large painting and dry brushing, which means you're ready to transfer into foam. And the only thing you've got to then learn is to how to work with foam, yeah? So si- simple CDK, uh, CD scatter will get scatter pieces on a couple of ruins will add to a set and give you a pretty functional set and then you know you can level up with right let's do foam next and that's your hills yeah after that let's play with trees and make some woods it's only gluing more tree bases so it's just a larger cd base with just more trees on so it's about leveling up by tackling one new challenge at a time rather than going i'm going to make an entire set and then you've got to learn how to make hills rocks ruins and base them all no, start simple, learn your basin, base a ruin, get your painting techniques. Because at the end of the day, painting a ruin building is exactly the same as painting rocks. Same colours, same techniques. Yeah, so all you really need to worry about is carving the pink foam and covering it in filler. So it's all about levelling up in steps. Yeah, so you're not tackling too many new things at one go. Yeah, learn one thing. And I think this is probably a nice uh, time to introduce a concept that I think is also important, worth talking about, is... When we're building terrain, um, I find that some things like railway ra- railway trees, for example, are quite brittle. Uh, yeah. They're not quite made for wargaming. Not all of them. I'm not talking on behalf of all trees. 
that I find that a lot of things that are available to us, and we talk about Luke Town, for example, some of his techniques don't quite work because they're not made for wargaming. Yeah. You've got this, this interesting triad. I might get you to explain or introduce why this might be something that, to, to consider. The, the triad is basically a, a design guide yeah, to answer questions in advance about your build. Now, when we're building terrain, we've got a rough idea what we're doing, but we're putting stuff on and we're gluing trees on and we're adding bits on to make it more interesting. But we, we don't know how it's going to pan out as a piece of terrain until we actually get it finished and on the tabletop. And quite often, you know, if you haven't got a guide, quite often you can produce terrain that might be too fragile or you can't actually balance your miniatures on. You know, or you can't actually use it in a game, really. You know, it doesn't fulfill its role as enhancing the game. So the design triad is, you know, is there to say, right, what are you after? Yeah. What does this terrain need to be as a functional item? Not are we building a bunker or are we building a tree or a house, but what what purpose does it serve? So if it's for tournament terrain, well, it doesn't really need to be realistic, but it does need to be durable and it does need to be functional. Yeah. And so by knowing that in advance and looking on the trial and going, well, I need to keep away from the realism and I'm more down towards the durability and the functional. You know, the, this question of you can have two, but you can't have three. Yeah. Where do you focus? And that will answer your question. So as you're going along, you go, right, what sort of trees do I use? Well, I need durable ones. Right. When I build my buildings, what are they going to be like? Well, they've got to be functional. Right. So I need window spaces to shoot out and I need uh, floors that are big enough to hold a squad. Yeah, so knowing that in your mind means when you get to the end piece, you end up with a durable piece that's actually useful in a game where people aren't balancing their models or saying these three models are actually inside the building, but I can't fit them in. Yeah, at the same time, you know, if you play in a high level demo game that you're taking to a show, yeah, you want it to be functional, but you want to be, you know, so it's a good game, but you want it to be really realistic. So, you know, pulls people in with the eye candy. We can't do realism with durability. So, you know, you, you have to say, all right, well, it's not going to be durable. I've got to make it. I've got to look after it. But, you know, I can go for the fancy stuff here because it's not going to get the hammer. It's only me setting it out. It's only me taking it home. You know, this is the functional area of the board. This is the aesthetic area of the board. So it's still being functional. Yeah. So it's really about the design trident is really about what sort of terrain do I want? Yeah. What's its purpose? What's it got to take? Who's going to be playing with it? And then using that and sort of saying, right, this is what I'm doing right at the start of the build with regards to the durability, realism and function. So it, it, your, your questions are answered all the way through. So you don't do something by mistake like, oh, I'm doing a tournament set of terrain and I use uh, really fragile railroad trees because they look great. And then it's like halfway through the tournament, half your trees are broken because hands have yeah. caught them. You know what I mean? If straight from the stuff, no, it needs to be durable. You don't even go near that. You get your solid foreground ones that you have to hit with a sledgehammer if you don't want to break them. You know what I mean? So the design triad is simply about answering questions to make sure the end piece of terrain fits its purpose and enables gameplay. I, you know, your terrain isn't falling apart. You don't end up with that big one hill that it just ends up like a, a lump in the table because no one can actually use it and place models on it. So you either go left round it or right round it, but that's all it does. And it takes up a third of the table. You know, you make it functional, right? Loads of plateaus on it. So we're fighting over this face and we're fighting over this face and there's people shooting down from the top. And it's easier to come up this path than it is to just send jump Marines up this side, this face. You know what I mean? So it's really about answering questions, mate. 
guiding yeah. note. Go on. It, no, I was just going to say, it, it's really good. Like when I think about this, uh, and this is important, folks, because when I'm building a display board and Army's on parade or I'm doing it for my, my next tournament, uh, I don't need to play on it, right? I'm the one who's in control. Yes, I need to transport it to wherever it goes, but I'm just going to set my, my, my models so I can design where my models are going to go on my diorama. I set it up. People take photos, no one's touching it. So I can play around with, you know, things that are really fragile. I can do different techniques that are different too when I'm running, I don't know, Adepticon, which has, you know, 200 odd players. Uh, it's going to be stored in a bucket once a year for majority of the year. Uh, it needs to be transported. It has to be played on by a whole bunch of people that I don't personally yeah. know. And I don't know how well they're going to treat my things. They're going to try to put on Archeon on top of a building and, you know, potentially, yeah. I don't want to say ruin it, but it's there to be played on, and yeah, it's, it's got functional. a function. Yeah, it, it's it. We are war gamers. We play games on these. Yeah, so the idea of you know who's using it and how much hammer it's going to get, and where you know who's taking it out, who's putting it away, they're all questions that should be considered in the design, because you can still make the train. Whether it lasts the gameplay and gives you in you know enjoyable gameplay. Depends on whether you answer these questions in advance. You know, so that's what the triad's about, just to focus your thoughts on, right, where are the key elements? Yeah, it's important, especially, like, if you're listening to this as a – because I guess, you know, if I'm building terrain for my home and it's just for my home setup and I've got some shelves I can put away with, it's away from cats and dogs and children and things like that, then I can do some really lovely things because I don't yeah. have to worry as much about the durability. Yeah, exactly. But then if I'm transporting it in these big, you know, carry trays to, to go to a tournament that is, you know, hour away, completely different, yeah. different, different design, which means I might need material that is more uh, forgiving. It's yeah. more durable. I might need to put in, like, for example, for my terrain, when I'm building tournament terrain, I'll make sure when I use sand and grit to make sure I put like a water PVA yeah. mixture over it so it doesn't get damaged nearly as much. Yeah, I always say when it comes to sealing, one for home, two for club, three for store. You know, when it comes to how many sealing coats you put on stuff. Yeah, because it depends on how much it's going to get hammered. Yeah, and it and does get hammered. It gets oh, hammered, yeah. even if it's just in the box, just bashing around. And I know I use like packing peanuts to try to minimize that, but they're still bashing each it's other. It's not that, you know, we have, we have to live in the reality that someone's kid with jammy fingers is going to come along and just grab it off the tabletop because kids are in our hobby. You know, we bring our kids. I mean, my I, I've got kids. They've grown up around. Now, my kids are actually really respectful of terrain, but there were times in their youth where they weren't. You know what I mean? And when you're teaching kids to play war games, that you need durable stuff. Yeah. But if, if you just approach it with that sort of mentality of where is it going to be and who's, you know, who could possibly get their hands on it? Not just who will play on it. What's this space open to? You know what I mean? Is it open? If a store, you know, any little kid can come in with his mum, you know, uh, older brother comes in with the mum. Younger brother's there looking at a table in the corner while they're buying something off the rack. And before you know it, he's got he's lifted up one of your pieces by a tree. You know, I've seen it happen. I mean, uh, just as war gamers, uh, I built my D-Day board. Yeah. And the first people to play on my D-Day board put an army case on the board full of models on the ocean. And I just sat there and smiled because I'd done it before, what you call it, before it even shipped out. 
I'd yeah. sat on my own D-Day board and had a coffee on it. Yeah, just to, for, for my state of mind of like, because I knew it was going in a, a wargaming store. It was from my mate yeah. Martin's store. And it was like, this is going to get hammered. Yeah, so I made it like rock. You know, you could hammer the ocean effects, you know, and you'd end up with a hurt hand. You know, yeah. so when he put his box down on it, it was like, all right, you really shouldn't do that, mate. That's pretty disrespectful, but I know my terrain's fine. Well, you factored it in, right? While someone who might have gone and picked up something, again, like something that's very fragile, you, you it then hits yeah. the table and you realise all that hard effort and work, you didn't factor in a really good design. Yeah. So, you know, just take the triad in, in principle and what you're building for from the start. And also another cool call out that I didn't quite mention uh, or we didn't quite mention when we're talking about, you know, 3D printing versus crafting is the fact that you can get your kids involved. You know, even if it's yeah. just in the basing process and the building or you're like, hey, let's, you know, let's make some trees together or scatter oh. and get them to paint. Like it's such a. It's full of arts and crafts. I mean, I called my children for about two years, my little base coaters. Yeah, right. There you go, kids. Fill in because whatever you miss, I'll just touch up on the second coat. You know what I mean? And right, you know, crack on. It's large. It's you know, it's messy. It's yeah. something you can always fix up. So, like, it's a great way to get your kids involved into the hobby because I know some people really want to get their kids into Warhammer, but giving them a little miniature might just be a stretch too far at the moment. Yeah, and not just remember. Yeah, if you get your kids involved, your materials are arts and crafts, and therefore, you know, your partner can't really say anything because you're doing something with the children. Just a little bit of advice there, folks. I want to call it cheap labor, but you're like it's it's a it's it's a, it's a great I'm way to get people involved. I'm buying this Citadel Mighty Fortress for the children, darling, for the children. Well, you talked about Games Workshop. Let's let's segue to that one. That's um because I think I guess there are some people who are probably watching this going, well, I don't I'm not ready to to custom build terrain. Like I'm not ready, I, I'm not interested in cutting and foaming, but what I would like to do is I'd like to buy games workshop products or you know a, a competitor mm. my marvel crisis buildings whatever it might be but i want to make them special i want to make yeah. them in the mortal realms i want to make them feel like they're volcanic they're icy they're you know things like that do you have any tips or advice or things that you could possibly do to i guess make your own feel of a, a pre-purchased terrain other than obviously just like a paint scheme uh, what's what? To be truthful, uh, let me share my screen. Da -da -da -da. Oh, this is this is definitely off script. Yeah, definitely off script. Here we go. All right, I'll, I'll bring it up. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, this is a an MDF kit. Okay, plain and simple. Just take this in, in the idea of a wargaming kit. Now, remember when I talked about CD scatter terrain and it's just basing and griblies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's just basing and griblies to it. Wow. That's all I've done. Yeah. And it's, I mean, that's all it is. Base and then a couple of barrels, a couple of crates, a little bit of logs. See? You've based it. You've put a little bit yeah. of greenery. I've all of a sudden, it. I feel, yeah. Yeah. And if you do that with any wargaming kit, I mean, if you can base your models, you can do that. Yeah, you've, you've got the materials to do that. You've used them all because there's nothing there. I mean, they're the Hearst Arts barrels. There's some foreground crates and there's some plastic logs. You can paint those. You've done it before. You can paint at that scale. 
But the difference you get by setting a theme and putting it on a base, it just elevates it. Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with buying plastic kits. Yeah. It's about how you theme them and just simply put them on a base with those gribblies that I keep talking about. Bang. You cut a feature from that to that. Right. It, it makes a massive difference. Like, honestly, like the, the little gribblies and – um, again, you know, I, and I, don't, I wish I could, I wish we had this show like two, two, I don't know, a year ago, because, you know, I'd say things like, you know, a secret weapon used to do great yeah. gribblies. Um, yeah. you know, you buy, a, no, what's it called? Um, I remember the name, but there's a whole bunch of companies out there that have these little gribblies, or if you've got a 3d printer, oh, yeah. or maybe he's got a 3d printer, you, you can make it simple things like, you know, icicles that are dribbling yeah. off, um, you know, to, to represent computer like, control and, panels, teeth. Dragon's teeth, you know, for your land of beasts, things like that. There's just so much you can do. And like I say, the key thing is if you don't want to make terrain, you just want to get some kits, but you want them to look a little bit fancier, base them. Base them and add gribblies. Yeah, and I tell you, by the time you've done that, you'll be like, oh, well, I want to base something else, and perhaps I will want to do a hill with it. Because, you know, all right, I'm halfway there to terrain making. I can make really nice-looking bits with a kit. Let me just try and make it a hill, you know. But above all, just basing take it the next level something that i really love is um there's a pre-mixture water effects from vallejo i think other companies do it but you know one thing that really makes a big difference is when you start seeing things like puddles and things like little water yeah. features and lakes and you know if i'm a nurgle player and i've got like little nurgle greeny kind of bubbly kind of disgusting pools or mm. you know if i'm sylvaneth and i'm going to have you know beautiful pristine waters or you know whatever it might be the jungle effects of seraphon um, whatever it might be, you know, that's just a really simple technique. I'm much more confident playing with resin and, you know, doing yeah. my, my two mixtures and tinting it and things. But um, again, I think you, the, the key is the basing and looking at the different techniques that you've got to, um, and like, I remember I was looking at some, some 40 K material re recently and some people have like just gone in and like burnt it or use a hot air gun to like melt Obviously, wear a mask, folks. Don't be burning yeah. burning plastic around yourself without ventilation and, and protection. But you know, like getting an air a, a hot air gun can do some really cool effects with the the, the GW plastic kits. Yeah, I, at the end of the day, it's just manipulating plastic. You know, it, it's no different than converting a model. That's how you've got to look at it. It's not just one set piece. It's an opportunity to have a play. You know, and so no, with a model, we base them, we convert them. Do the same with your model kits. Add some bits on, add some straws on, give them a base, bang. By the way, Mel, I've got to mention, um, how do we forget this tip? Um, the fact that you can use mixed herbs for your terrain board. Yeah, mixed herbs. Are, yeah, yeah, well, that's what was on that uh, kit. That was, that's the ground on the kit, mixed herbs. My, my studio smells beautiful. It smells like yeah. an Italian mixed herbs? Yeah, yeah, it's like living in a subway. <laughs> Do you have any in the UK specifically? Alex has asked you, is there any way where, where can I find foam? I know for me, my local hardware store, things like Bunnings is a great place. Um, internet sells foam as well, especially um, XPS you foam. Know. You want to be looking at someone like Panel Systems, uh, Limited, Craftphone.co.uk, Bluephone.co.uk. We don't really sell XPS in our in our hardware stores. Yeah, we only sell sell the EPS, the expanded bobbly stuff. Yeah, so the XPS, you actually have to order specially. Uh, if you're after a really cheap supply of it, yeah, 
go have a word with a pharmacist. Yeah, because all refrigerated drugs are transported in XPX boxes. Yeah, which they throw out afterwards. They're not recycled. Yeah. So if you go to a pharmacist every day, they get about 10 of these boxes. Yeah. And they will gladly just give you a mountain style. Yeah. OK, it's only perhaps smaller boxes and you get some large ones, but inch, inch thick sheets for free. So if you if you can't find it locally, go have a talk to a pharmacist. Yeah. About the, you know their drug deliveries and they'll have the shipping boxes that you can grab off them. Even um, like I know there are some marketing firms around me that has, you know, like they'll they'll cut up, uh, you know, is it acrylic or uh, I don't know the other materials. EPV. But they'll, they'll, EPV yeah, that, that's, that's what yeah. I was looking for. They'll EPV have an EPV state. and they'll cut up and they'll, and they'll just throw literally so much of the wastage that, you know, on a big scale, like a sign or some type yeah. of billboard, like, yeah, like it, the scraps are nothing. But for us, when we only need like this much or this, you know, very yeah. small amounts. Yeah. Like, become and they're willing to the, give it to you. Like they're absolutely very happy. Yeah. Become mates with a painter and decorator. What's left in his tins that he won't use will last you forever. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. We can do a lot of things with um, with the, the paint. But, um, you know, Games Workshop kits, obviously we're talking on behalf of Games Workshop, but there are a lot of other companies out there that do cardboard terrain, MDF mm. terrain, um, laser cutting right now. It's becoming more and more popular as it's becoming more and more accessible. So I'm finding a lot of different companies are doing laser cut, even just standard buildings yeah. um well you got laser cut you got battle systems doing card stuff i mean 3d 3d designs on kickstarter now are like it's half of kickstarter the 3d sculpt designs sdls you know so there's all sorts you can print so the options are there to get your terrain pieces down yeah it's just about stylizing them up and tying them into your theme and as Baz Bones has said, uh, whenever you ask for something for free, like, you know, we mentioned mm -hmm. the, the people who cut up like the the the, the plastics, yeah. um, they, you're doing them a favor. They're actually, yeah. usually their bins are chock full that they want to get rid of it. And if someone says, hey, I will take away your rubbish, essentially, they were like, yeah, cool, take it. Like, yeah. you, you think you're, they're doing your favor? No, it's the other way around. Almost no, definitely. Builders off cuts all sorts, you know. you just got to be a bit, little bit sort of cheeky and have the guts to go in and just have a chat. And I always find if you've got photos of what you're going to use it for, yeah, with you, that doesn't arc grease some wheels. When you're like, oh, I want, I'm going to use it. You, you make that? Yeah, make that. Did it like this? And I use it for this. Oh, yeah, we've got tons, mate. There you go. Yeah, works treat. How how cheaply can you go with your paint? That's probably been one thing I've always been worried about because I've played around with some, like the, is it like, you can buy like tubes of paint from like, you know, the yeah. cheapy stores. And that seems to work for me so far. Um, to be truthful, acrylic is acrylic. Yeah. So yeah. as long as you're getting an acrylic paint, it will work. It comes to price. Yeah. And quite often for the colors we want, the grays, the browns, you they're only really available in house paint, which is an acrylic paint. It's just a, a thicker, more, it's a thicker pigment, a higher pigment count and a more durable binder. But it's still acrylic. Yeah, it's exactly the same sort of chemical makeup as, or pretty much, as artist acrylics, you know? Mm. Yeah, so acrylic is acrylic is acrylic, I say. Yeah, I go for the house paints for my base coating colours. And then I tend to go for like, uh, for my detailing yeah, I'll have a range of artist acrylics, often quite cheap ones, but for doing brown washes, black washes, because you do rocks, you're constantly making washes up. 
you know, and when you're doing terrain, it's not a quick dip, you know, you need to make a like, you know, perhaps an inch or two of wash to put over all your rocks and that sort of stuff. So it's throw some acrylic in, throw some watch it. So pound shop acrylics are good for those. They're good enough for watch it for what you need and cheap enough so you can use them in bulk. Yeah, when I get really posh and I'm doing fine stuff, I've got a set of very artistic acrylics, but they're like my posh, posh ones. And those bottles have lasted me like 20 years. But if I want to make a really nice wash for over some metalwork or over some rather like plastic detailed bits, then it's like, right, I'll get the really fine, fine, pigmented, artistic acrylics for this. But the stuff you get from the kids' sort of craft store, you know, the bog standard little tubes for a quid each, they're fine. Get yourself your browns, your burnt umbers, your raw umbers, you know, get an okra. Okra is, what you call it, is like a light cream, but it's the perfect mm. colour to add to any dirt colour to make it lighter. Yeah, it just makes it look really realistic. So get some okra because you can just bit of that and you can you can throw your kiddies craft acrylics in with your house paints. So if you've got a dark brown in your house paint and you, you say, right, that's my base coat and I want to do a path, you can give it a little squirt of kiddies okra, like a sort of terracotta, not well, lighter terracotta, it's called okra, but give it a mix. And it'll highlight for you and there's no issues between consistency or mixing. Yeah. And the other thing is all of them will go through an airbrush. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I've, I've been doing a lot of dry brushing with the um, the, the the kitties paints. Yeah. Because you get a lot of really good value for. Uh, and and obviously with... They're good pigments. Yeah. You know, model paints are, are formulated to have fine pigments. So they put down very smooth layers. Yeah. Kids stuff is it's designed to get a, a better paint stroke for less material. So kids aren't sitting there having to go over their paintings in two coats. Yeah, we do in two thin yeah. coats, you know, to a uh, good old dunk. Yeah, but what you got for us, you know, for, for the train sort of stuff, you want more of a one coat base and the kids' artistic acrylics that, I mean, house paint, you know, it's marketed on one coat. You know, I we've got that much pigment in here that you're only going to have to brush this wall one for a solid covering. That'll do great for my ruins. Thank you. Now I just need to thin it down enough to put it through an airbrush. Well, see, I'll, I'll I will mix uh, wood glue PVA with uh, uh, with my uh, my base coat of paint, yeah. like black or grey, and then that gives me that first layer of stability. Plus, gives me a base coat to build on. So. Yeah, um, works a treat. And I I'm, and I know for me as well, like you can buy like acrylic inks. You can buy like you know pots of ink, and that yeah. you know, instead of buying like big pots of Games Workshop um, uh, null Watches. oil and things like that, yeah, like that is very expensive for training. I would not no. recommend oh, no, that. No. Don't do that. But you no. can make up your own washes pretty easily, and there's a bunch of tutorials on YouTube yeah. where you can like just get some some painters uh, acrylic that last you a lifetime. And you thin it down with a few, uh, yeah. mostly simple things. With matte mediums. Yeah, no, uh, yeah. The, the best is matte medium because that's the clear binder for acrylic. Yeah, so yeah. matte medium is acrylic paint without any pigment in it. So a bit of matte medium, bit of your, your acrylic ink, load of water, give it a mix, bang. There's and, you, and you can buy tubs of matte medium as well. So don't go buy right. little pots of, don't buy little yeah. pots of like Lamia medium. Like no, you can no, buy no. like, again. <laughs> Yeah, I bought one and I've had it for years. Yeah, same here. I mean, I I think I've still got the same sort of flow aids, matte mediums, and stuff that I started with the first start of the channel, and I'm still using them. You know what I mean? 
yeah, it, it, there's some, you know, like you don't have to go out and buy everything up front. You buy it as you need it. But it's like when you move house for the first time, you know, you've got to buy the tomato sauce, you've got to buy the salt, you've got to buy, you know, the spices. But once you've got the spices, it's just like small maintenance kind of as you yeah. go. Yeah, exactly. Um, when, when you're doing things, right, like when you're making a piece of terrain, I mentioned right at the top of the show, I was making like some volcano type terrain and um, it went pear shape at one particular point. I think I tried to do something that didn't work. I think it might've been, uh, might've been the hot glue gun I pulled out and it was too hot or I didn't base the foam yeah. properly and it started eating through it. Um, I think that was what, there was a few yeah. things that have gone wrong over time. When things go wrong in your studio, what do you do? Do you throw it away? Do you persist? Do you repurpose oh, I, it? I, I follow the the first page of what you call it of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Guide to the Galaxy. Don't panic. <laughs> yeah, first thing off, yeah, just step back. Yeah, because quite often when something goes wrong, you've got this urgency to get in and fix it somehow, and you're panicking. And every time I've done that, it messes up. First thing you've got to do is go, all right, this has happened. Let's step back from the situation. Let's let it finish doing what it's done and see what the situation, just by stepping back, very much like with the inspiration thing, get your ideas, get it noted back, step back from the situation, let the brain think. Yeah. Quite often, if you jump in and try and tackle them, you make it worse and then you get frustrated and then you give up on them. Whereas if you step back from the situation, five minutes, you know, half an hour later, you're like, I could probably fill those bits with a bit of filler, actually. I can pack with a bit of foam and then just go over them with a bit of filler. No, no, no. Yeah. But you don't get the afterthoughts, the correct afterthoughts, if your action is too soon after the accident. So typically, if I screw up, the first thing I do is just put it aside. Because in every situation where I've screwed up and I've tried to fix it in the moment, other than perhaps, oh, that's spilt mop that little you know yeah the extra bit i was, was going to say the only time that's ever happened is when i found like a leak with resin i've poured resin and yeah. i found a leak and i freak out and i'm gonna fix that but otherwise yeah. yeah yeah you know generally if you get a spill or something like that jump on it did it did it but generally if it's like oh this is right let's see what happens because until the final details are put on the train is a work in progress so anything can happen i mean you can put all your flock down and if it doesn't go down right you can paint it brown and just treat it like brown and start again yeah, so there's lots of opportunities to fix things if you're given enough space to breathe and just think about it sensibly. And that's not jumping in. And if you do screw something up so badly that I can't use these, well, you can use them to experiment with new techniques. Mm. So if you want to figure out if this wash is working before I put it on this other set, yeah, well, you've got some pieces there then that you can just pull down and, yeah. Oh, I want to practice uh, some rock colours. I've got these volcanoes. I'll do this rock color on this side, this rock color on this side. Yeah, that one's the one I like. Yeah, which means you get to test these things before you commit to doing them across an entire set to find out, actually, I don't like that. Yeah. And so that kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier about buying some of those products, like those pre-made products that you know you can make, but you just don't want to, you don't want to, like when you're towards the end of a um, of a build, you don't want to ruin it with something. Yeah, so, yeah, right. You this is the for, time to test it. This is the time yeah. to go crazy and test it. For example, with resin, yeah. If it's more than that much in a cup, I do a test pour the night before. Because if it's that much in a cup, wherever I'm pouring it in, I can get it out of. You know, 
I can chip it out of, I can repaint the edges, I can re-pour. Anything more than that much in a cup, it ain't coming out without a nightmare. So instead, let me pour my resin, let me get my mixtures, let me put it on a bit of a test piece. Even if that's just a bit of card with your base colour of your river painted on, and you just pour some resin over it. If it's just a blob, it's not going to run over the edges of an A4 sheet. Well, you get to sit there and go, oh, yeah, I quite like that colour. Or, oh, God, that's gone really dark, hasn't it? I wasn't expecting that. And it's good to find out that sort of stuff before you pour it into your yeah. river piece where you've spent, you know, two weeks building six foot of modular rivers. You've gone painted, you've gone flocked, you've dammed them up, you're ready to pour. And then you realise your pigment's too deep and your river just doesn't look realistic because it's too dark. So little things like that where, you know, right, if this is crucial that this is going to turn out okay, yeah, then it's crucial I should test what I'm doing first. And the things that go wrong just become opportunities to test things off. You know what I mean? It's like, because you know they've gone wrong. So you can go, you know, hell to the wall with it and go, yeah, I'm just going to give this a go. Or does this glue? Or have I got this right? Or I'm going to try this on this. And if it works, I'll do it on, on the main set tomorrow. You know what I mean? So it's either fixable if you step back or breathe. Or if it isn't fixable, it's an opportunity to learn in the future, not just from your mistake, but providing pieces. So if you want to practice painting a, a rock, you don't have to build a test rock. You've got test pieces on a shelf that you can just grab while you've got the paints. I mean, same with like looking at a paint and you go, is this paint all right? You know what I mean? Dip it or this PVA, is it all right? Or is this gone off or let's throw it on here and see how it does on here before you put it on the set you've actually spent your you know your heart and soul on yeah so that's what happens when you go wrong it's either fixable or it's usable it's no different to what we do and it's it's interesting because everything we do in miniature wargaming because you're right like i don't build up you know a, a, an amazing piece of nagash and then right at the very end do something crazy like i'm going to test the craziness on something I don't care about. You know, yeah. there's the old space marine analogy, right? Like you would go out and buy a kit, like, a, you know, get, you might get space marines and stormcast models really cheap. You test on those, yeah. see how it works. And you've got these test models and you, you bash them, you break them, you paint over them, you strip them. Yeah. And then you do the real technique once you've got the practice down on the kit, especially when you're doing like high end display boards and, as you mentioned, the, yeah. the final parts of a of a build. Yeah, exactly. It's just an opportunity for that, and it's just taking the same principles. But above all, don't panic. No, I dig it. I dig it. And by the way, I, I do want to call out that we've talked a lot about top techniques and things, and uh, I do want to mention a lot of this stuff is coming from Mel's book, and um, this was a book that I backed on Kickstarter uh it is still available and yeah. uh at the at the end of the show when we start wrapping up i'm going to do a giveaway uh in the the video comments not the chat so if you're watching this on the replay there will still be a chance for you to enter but um this is a really cool mel like what's the what's in the book i i obviously know i that's yeah. a loaded question uh, i know it's in the book but for anyone who's thinking about like terrain building what's 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 in here the book was written on the foundations of, you know, teach a man to fish or give a man a fish. I decided to teach a man to fish. Yeah. So it goes through all the essentials for terrain building. So everything from basin to groundwork, to grass work, to, to hills, to rocks, to trees, to buildings, to waterworks, the whole lot. 
Yeah, and it just simply takes it through on from a leveling up, building on each other. So the idea being that I could write a book where I teach you how to make amazing fantasy builds with like, you know, six foot of cliffs. But if you can do three inches of cliffs, you can do six foot of cliffs. So the book teaches the principles you can apply across your builds. And as you're showing on the screen now, it's literally packed and everything builds on itself. And it's it's 20, 30, it's 30 years worth of modeling experience crammed into uh, crammed into 196 pages with over 9,000 words and over 550 step-by-step -step photos, which is quite a scary thought when you think about it. It's really well put up. And, um, you know, like this isn't, this video clearly is not a sales pitch for the book. Um, it is a really good book. I would highly recommend um, people go and grab it. Um, the minute I saw it come up on Kickstarter, I backed it because I knew, and I didn't know what you were going to do, right? It was just a terrain book by Mel. And I'm like, I, I don't think I, I don't... knew what I was going to do to be fair at that point, mate. <laughs> but I knew like whatever was going to come out of that book would have a lot of value. So again, I'd highly recommend um, the book is Terrain it, Essentials. Uh, the link is in the video already, so you can go out and grab it. Um, and as I mentioned, as we wrap up, um, I will talk about a giveaway we'll do because I do want to get this book out. And, you know, many of the tutorials are on YouTube. Yeah, but there's a lot of stuff in here that is not so. The um, book was essentially bringing together all the videos and all the information, and not just what I knew through YouTube, but what I've learned through YouTube. So, the videos I did at the start of the channel, perhaps seven years ago, my knowledge and techniques have advanced quite a lot since then. So, the book was a chance for me to go, Well, here's a line in the sand, and let me bring every rather than going back and let's do a new flocking video, let's do a new hills video. I used the book as a way of, Right, this is where we are. Yeah, and this is where the channel is. This is what's essentially on the channel. And pretty much what's most of what's on the channel is in the book, but in a far more concise, structured way, you know, with lessons learned afterwards, you know, sort of applied. And it, the book's been, re if I can say the one thing about the book and the experience of writing the book is it's cemented my terrain knowledge because it forced me to go over everything from scratch, from the ground up. And because it covers everything, I had to go over everything. So from my point of view, it's like, you know, it really cemented, right, what do you actually know about terrain making? And mm. over 90,000 words, apparently. Well, it's interesting because, like, when you start off as a kid, you know, like, flocking is easy, right? Mm. And then when you sit down and go, right, I need to teach someone how to flock, it starts to question you, like, do I? Like, is this actually the right process? And like, do I actually know what I'm talking about with flocking? And like, is someone who, you know, who, someone who's really good at flocking, are they going to look at this and think I've missed like 10 million things that I could have mentioned? So it's, it's a very interesting, uh, it's, it's really well done. I, I, I must Thank congratulate you, you. Thank you. And a, a, an investment that I'm very, unlike some of my Kickstarters, one that I'm, you know, very happy in. Uh, yeah, we had from. our struggles, you know, we did have challenges with the health and stuff like that. But me and Dave were, were committed that, you know, everyone backed us and we're just going to deliver the best one we could. And he did a brilliant job with the layout, you know, and setting it up. It's a gorgeous, you know, not just the book is useful, but it's a good looking book as well, if you know what I mean. Yeah, so massive props to Dave Taylor for his work on that. No, de definitely I'd re recommend checking it out. A couple of final questions, Mel. I know it's late on your Saturday, and I'm sure you've got plenty of things to do. You need to, as you would say, crack on. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I watch your stuff. I'm a big fan. Um, 
when if I had some real aspirational project, and maybe I'm thinking of something, let's say, for example, Armies on Parade, because it's something that a lot of people aspire to do, but they never do. Like, they're like, oh, I never yeah. ran out of time. Like, and, you know, I'm starting Armies on Parade, like, up to a year until the yeah. deadline, right? Like I'm, I'm not starting the month of armies on parade. So ha- do you have any advice on how you can take such a big scale, like a Burma board, like armies on parade, like some type of, you know, an army, I'm going to take the Adepticon, right? You know, this big, this big milestone. How do I take down like a very complex, big scale, same grand you, idea I might have? Same way you build an army, mate. You break it down into sections. You know, your army's got a common theme, a common paint source, a common look. You may convert it, base it, paint it. Yeah, but you tackle it in units. When you tackle a big project like, you know, the Burma board or making, you know, uh, armies on parade display boards, you need to look at it as sections so it isn't so overwhelming. Yeah, so, for example, with the big Burma board, if I was to tackle that as one build i'd be like you haven't got a chance mate something like that whereas i've been plodding along with it quite happily and it's like right this time i'm gonna add palm trees and i did a load of palm tree groves the mdf building we looked at that's part of a village set that i'm gonna drop in so for me i'm just doing a village using a basing scheme i'm really used to yeah in the sense of the set you've just got a new watch clip a burmese village added to the set yeah, so it's about breaking it down into copable sections. So in an armies in, in display board, pretty typically, yeah, you've got a third, which is pretty clear for your larger units. Yeah, you've then got a third of the board space, which is what sort of a mixture between clear and some scattered terrain for your more featurey, scattery units. And then you've got quite a third, quite detailed, that might have a few character models on. Section that off. Decide where on the board they're going to be and how you're going to do them and tackle them like that. Yeah, as different sections and just bring them up layer by layer. And if you tackle it like that, rather than the whole thing, yeah, it just becomes manageable pieces. Yeah, it's how I approach all my builds. Yeah, this bit there, this bit there. They're all little bits. I mean, my tables are essentially scatter pieces that I glued to the board in my mind. You know, that's the only difference. You know, they make the same buildings. I put them on a scatter and this is how I'd lay them out with a fixed board. I'm just fixing them down. So you scatter stuff, you know, you can move little scatter pieces around, get some small stuff, get a feel for where you want things. And then when you go to the big board, you know, the actual display board, you can make them and go, yeah, that feels right. You know, when you're doing armies on parade boards, masking tape on a bit of watch it on a bit of cardboard, you know, books and stuff. Get your army on there so it looks good first. Yeah. Draw your lines on your cardboard to say, this is the area I need to fit these models in. Yeah. yeah. This model's got really wired, sticky out tentacle bits, so no trees anywhere near it. You know what I mean? And that just breaks down to sections that are manageable, breaks the decision-making and the triad decisions down into sim- simple decisions rather than an overwhelming project. And before you know it, you put it together and it looks good because you considered the whole thing from the start. No, you're right. Like uh, I've been building these armies on parade board, and um, uh, for anyone who has who's not in my Discord server and has seen some of the pictures, you know, I I took about ten to fifteen Azerite ruin kits, so like these these destroyed ruin sections, mm-hmm. and I made like this big 30, 30 inch kind of like one big grand wall, 
and I'm like green stuffing and kind of filling in gaps. And I built a, um, a pool that was like, it, I made like a fountain Roman bath kind of inspired by the bath yeah. in, 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 in the bath in bath. Yeah. Um, but it's full of resin. It's a blood bath. So I had to tint the resin. I've got like fountains and I've got this stuff. And when I was conceptualizing it, I thought I was on crack. I'm like, this, this is not going to, this is not going to turn out. And for a long time, I didn't, the, the vision wasn't quite there. Like, I'm like, oh, it's not there yet. It's not there yet. But as I start putting those pieces together, it it becomes grand and it becomes yeah. more than what you expect. But for like six months, it doesn't look like anything. So I think, as you've said, chunk it down, break it down, commit, have a good plan, do your yeah. research, and yeah. it all works. And if it doesn't yeah, it work... Does you've already given us good ideas on like what to do to like rally. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But the main thing is just have a plan section it and just plod on because once you start it, as long as you keep on, you will finish it. It has to end at some point. That's the one thing with terrain boards. They are limited by size. You know what I mean? Unlike armies where I'll just buy another unit. <laughs> I'll just get another 20 of these. <laughs> and there are. Right, Gone. I got, I got last two questions, and I want to let you go. Um, no worries. But I, I, I could, Mel. I could talk to you forever. I would, I would, uh, I would talk to you forever. Next time, forever. next just, time we, we grab a convention, buddy. We'll sit so down and have a beer. Build, building terrain. I hope you enjoyed the Tim Tams, by the way. Um, oh, most definitely. <laughs> Which is really <laughs> ironic, yeah, because Dave Taylor is Australian. Yeah. Oh, is he? But he can't. Yeah, but he can't get Tim Tams in Australia in the US America. where he lives now. Yeah, so I walked into the room with the Tim Tams. Yeah, his face lit up, and I'm like, no, they're mine. And I sat there eating them in front of me. <laughs> in the UK, we have Tim Tams. You got penguins. Penguins, exactly. So when you gave them to me, it was like, penguin bars. I walked in and went, hey, I've been given these things, penguin bars, but they're called Tim Tams. And Dave's face just lit up, like, give us one, give us one. <laughs> they oh, are no. different, though. I, I've been told they're a little bit different. Um, I couldn't tell the difference, to be truthful. I couldn't tell I, the difference. I, I was I was happy with them, brother. It's the same as um, Vegemite versus Marmite. I think there's, there's there's slight differences, and depending on where you sit on the fence, people will yeah. argue that Marmite's better than Vegemite. My Those best, people are wrong. I've, I've got a Marmite story for you, yeah. When my kids were little, Corbin was three, Willow was one. And I've never liked Marmite. My my ex-wife did, yeah, and watched what she was doing some toast and she says, oh, I've got Marmite here. Should we give it the kids? So we walked in, yeah. And they're, they're playing it, you know, in the living room sort of thing. And we gave a slice of toast, one to each. Yeah. And Corbin starts nibbling down on it. Willow's shoving her face, looking. I'm looking, I'm looking at Willow, I'm going, she's really loving that. And I looked to Corbin, and Corbin has got hold of the sofa, and he's scraping his tongue off the sofa to get it off his tongue. <laughs> it's like, Marmite, one loves it, one hates it. I have sent some Vegemite to some people uh, in the past, and the trap with Vegemite has always been, uh, especially with the Americans, they'll spread Vegemite like thickness, like peanut butter, Ooh. and it's very salty for anyone who hasn't had Vegemite. It's very yeast; uh, mm. it's, it's salty, right? Like it was. It's made from it's a tint. The, the, yeah, it's made of the top of the beer in the beer process, and um, very popular from the World War, but. Um, they, they do it like Vegemite and a kid obviously doesn't have the palate of like this heavy, salty, mm. tarty type of flavor. And it's just like, they make them cry. So, mm -hmm. um, spread it thin, put some cheese on it, put some butter on it, 
don't go, especially if you're practicing, like you're starting off. But the two final questions I had for you, Mel, and kind of bring this home is one, um, I built all this terrain. I bought so much terrain and I'm a tournament organizer or my wife is just like, make sure to put your stuff away. Any recommendations on storing your terrain and or all this stuff? Like I've gone out and bought all stuff from Halloween. I've gone out and bought stuff from like the hardware store. Like how do I store it all? To be truthful, one of the things is don't get more than you really need if you're buying. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a thing of, oh, I've got a bulk buy and I'll save a quid. Right, yeah, but it's going to take up loads of space in your shed when actually you only need one sheet. Yeah, so quite often it's not be greedy, not grab everything. If you are grabbing lots of stuff and lots of bits, organize them. Keep them in cardboard boxes. Get a load of cardboard boxes of the same size so they stack neatly in one corner. If it's stacked neatly in a corner, the female of the species can't detect it. It's a bit like a T-Rex. You know, they can only see real mess. Yeah, so nice organized. So yeah. I think, for example, you've got all these uh, coffee tins. I noticed yeah. that when I was looking at your – I assume that's got all, your, like, your grits and yeah, um, yeah. sands and – And it just keeps them all nice and storied. So clean storage. If it comes to storing lots of terrain for what things like a tournament and you've got a lot of terrain, then my tip is to build the terrain for the storage. Yeah, so decide whatever you're going to store them in. Yeah, look at how much space you've got there. Yeah, and then design your train to fit in that space. Even marking out circles on the bottom of the box of where different pieces go. You know, if it's a particularly large tote, you know, with multiple levels, you can put little uh, batons in of wood and then just create an, uh, an MDF piece that you put on top. Yeah, and then you put more terrain on top to double it up. And then if you think about it, right, well, you know, okay, I know I can fit so many bases in this layer. I know I've got 10 inches. Yeah, before the next layer in. So make sure all your buildings and everything are nine inches and below so everything fits in. And if you design your terrain, yeah, much for your storage, that's its function, yeah, from the triad, straight from the off, then you know, right, everything's this size, everything's these shapes, these are the shapes of the discs I've got to build on, and everything for this set will go in this one tote. So you completely avoid that situation where you've got terrain spread over numerous boxes with different sets in, you know, where you've got to dig through and get multiple things out. You avoid that situation where, you you know, half the stuff is in a box, the other half is on top of the box getting knackered by the cat. You know what I mean? It's, right, this table or this table and another table or this complete Burma set is in this one box. It's labelled, this is its box. Yeah, and if I ever want to play with it, I just have to get one box out. If I've got to set up a tournament, I've got to get seven boxes out. But I know where the terrain's coming from. I know that. Right, there's three tables in each box, say. Next box. And when it comes to packing up, three these three tables go in this one box. Bang, away. Clean and easy. So if storage is an issue, be aware it's an issue from the start and cater your build to fit in your storage. Yeah. And if you do it like that quite often, it'll slide under the bed. Mm. You know, you can get a couple of totes under the bed quite easily. If you build your terrain to fit in them. Yeah. And you've got nothing sticking over the edge or any spare boxes. And if it's in a nice clean box that's labeled up, generally it doesn't cause any sort of harmonious issues. Yeah. It's out of the way, you know, and you're not doing that thing where if you want to play a game, you've got to get out three boxes and dig through things and leave stuff all lying around. Instead, you just grab one box you carry it through to your table, you lay your train out, you put your box under your table, 
you play your game, the train goes straight back in the box. It goes away quick, quicker than your army does. You know what I mean? And that's sort of like if space is an issue and sometimes, you know, if you've got a partner and that sort of stuff, that can be a concern with wargaming when making terrain because it can take over. You know, so just keeping it concise, easy fix, mate. Inventory management is something that I've learned very quickly, whether it's having drawers, like I've gone to the hardware store to buy these like little stackable drawers. Even um, mm. we have something called Office Works, which is like a, they sell like lots of stationery. Yeah. And, you know, like the, I'll have like a little drawer and it has all of my um, uh, hot glue gun and all the hot glue. Yeah. Then I'll have a different drawer, which has my hot wire cutters and all the different replacement wire. Yeah. So it's very easy to pull out and I, I'm not digging through different boxes. I do the and same. Then, I I've got some ones for Flock, for Clump Foliage, for the Scenics, and I know everything I need is in there. And I'm not going to have to get anything else out from another drawer to do that job. So if I'm doing static grass, my static grass, my static grass applicators, the glue for the static grass is all in one drawer. Out, job done. Do it, put it away. Um, Alex, Alex has asked the question. This is not my question. I said I wanted two. Or this is not one of them. But Al Alex has asked, has Games Workshop ever asked you to uh, make a board? I would love a Warhammer World board from Do you. Do you know what? Yeah, uh, I am part of the GW community uh, preview team. So I do work with GW and I, I'm not under NDA, but when they first sort of engaged with me, which was when I was writing the book, so I couldn't do it and they, they wanted to commission a board, but they wanted to commission a six foot by four foot flat sand covered board. Yeah. And I was, I sat back and it's like, it's GW, anyone there. And it was like, right. Okay. No, what they're doing is they're testing my business principles. They're seeing how I respond to this, how I quote, how I, you know what I mean? And I just replied back saying, I'd love to build it, you know, and that sort of stuff. And I'm sure you can, but I'm in the middle of writing the book and they've never actually commissioned me to do anything else. That being said, I am good mates with a few of the studio designers at GW and a few of the like uh, product managers. So I, I know the guy who runs the Lord of the Rings stuff. I know a few of the design guys, their mates and that sort of stuff. So I'm trying to get in on GW and I want to sneak into the design studio. I want to go into Forge World. So I'm trying to leverage all my connections. It's either that or I'm going to have to hang around GW long enough, yeah, just to just slip in somewhere and someone go, he's the train shooter. He must be here on something official. Or I've got to do the high vis thing. You know, when you just put a high vis on and just like balls it and just walk straight in. Like, walk in, right? Yeah. Well, well, like as Bide Bones says, you aren't the trained tutor, you are the trained wizard. So like you are. And it's, I would love to see a Warhammer world because they've got some wonderful tables. Like yeah. I had the pleasure of playing on one of the tables back in 2018 when I was yeah. in Nottingham. And they're wonderful, gorgeous tables. And I can only imagine what you would do if you do had you know what? an it, unlimited supply of their terrain and you just imagine what on. their workshop must be like. You know, with GW's money behind it. You know, because obviously it's GW's money behind it. So they have all the resources they want. On top of that, you've got the best scenic model makers in the world in one room. <sighs> Mate. I'm getting in that room. I don't care if I've got to bring a load of terrain axe and a battering ram. I'm getting in there one way or another. We'll do it old school, fancy battle style. I reckon. I reckon we can sneak you in. I reckon. I reckon we'll get you a polo. Hang around in Bugman's bar yeah, yeah. a bit long, but I'd love to see a table. I think you. you yeah. Your tables are gorgeous, and I showed uh, one of your tables earlier. I'll bring it up again for the folks who might be joining us a bit late. Um, like you know, this was your Frostgrave yeah. table that. Um, as a Frostgrave player, I look at this and like I sell, like I salivate, like just the amount of things that I could do and the adventures I could run. And I know 
that inside that little hole is actually a playable space. Or did you have yeah. a, I remember seeing it was like a, a bit of like a, yeah, it was hollow. Yeah. It's all hollowed out inside and there's a, like a magical cave inside with portals and all that sort of stuff. It was just trying to make it as interesting as possible. Yeah. And as functional as possible. And it just worked really well. You know, it was a cracking board because it used the uh, frost grade game with the teleporters. Yeah. The teleport doors. So it worked great with people moving inside the mountain and on top of the mountain and into the ruins and onto the bridge. You know what I mean? And it was just a really good game at Salute. But that was a good build. I enjoyed that. Would I like to do something for Games Workshop? I would, but I'd like to do it in their studio. If I'm going to do something for Games Workshop, give me access to, you You know, your plastic. I mean, I've got their plastic, but let me be in the studio. and Let me come down for a week and see where I can knock out with your tools. You know what I mean? Rather than mine. But as I say, you know, my only relationship with GW is just part of the preview team. I, they send me stuff early, you know, train stuff and I get to show it off and that sort of stuff. Yeah. No, so I'll keep, you. I'll keep trying. I'll keep trying. We'll get you. Either that, either that or we're having another Kickstarter for a battering ram. Well, maybe Kickstarter on uh, relaunching how to make wargaming terrain. Maybe we can get that. Maybe we get them back. You know what? I still can't. I, I, I still still can't believe that they used to have in white dwarf how to make terrain they were with good non reels as well they did not talk they didn't talk about their products because they at that time they, did, they didn't even have their own terrain they rebranded railway trees at one point but well, they logically i mean all their original scenery was rebranded from k&m yeah, uh, British Railway Manufacturer and Jarvis. They made all the static grass. And you can still get all the original GW stuff. Uh, the reason that they went so their product focus was because of the, the Chapter House lawsuit. Yeah. 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 Now, that was a real kick in the ghoulies because I was talking at the time to White Dwarf and they wanted to feature my Imperial Guard Army in White Dwarf. Yeah. But I'd used Railway Plasticard for textured cobblestone on my bases. Yeah, and because of the chapter house, they could not touch it. Yeah, and so if it wasn't, I would, this Imperial Guard Army would have been in a white dwarf. Yeah, you know what I mean? If it hadn't have been for a bit of textured plastic art in that legal case. And now, you know, they, they're quite strict about, you know, they only show their products because of third party and litigation and stuff like that. But and that's so been a challenge fun. of mine. But that's been a challenge of mine because I do a lot of um, display boards and things like that. And I remember last year I was doing a um, I was doing a display board for my 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 giants, and they were going to be raiding a village. And as you would imagine, they're stealing food, they're doing all this stuff, and burning houses, kicking sheep, or whatever. And the problem is, is that they don't have a really big line of um, of fantasy stuff, especially like peasants. There's there's not really peasants anymore in the mortal realms in fantasy battles yeah you had militia but those types of things so it's like do i a 3d print them and the answer is no because games workshop you've got to have officially games workshop product yeah. uh in armies on parade or if i go to like their store or b i've got to do something within their confines and then yeah. the challenge was i was balancing like lord of the rings which uh is a completely different ip and the legal stuff that they're not meant to be crossing over between lord of the rings and fantasy battles it's and, it's it's like, why yeah ip can be a challenging thing which is why i built a lot of the train stuff i do i build generic 
generic sci-fi, generic fantasy. I mean, everyone knows it's for Age of Sigmar, everyone knows it's for 40k or for something like that, but I tend not to say 40k or Warhammer or stuff like that, because IP, I mean, GW is pretty good at the minute, but at the same time, I do remember a time when the legal department was quite aggressive towards the community with the Banhammer. And I think if you're doing, if you put as much effort as like the likes of you and I do into our channels and helping the community, you don't want to end up getting hamstring because you're caught out because of a legal policy they've got to do because they're a PLC and they've got shareholders that they've got to be compliant with. You know what I mean? So IP can be a nightmare and keeping it generic is the best way to go. They, they, have, they have been doing some things with the animations, but that's a whole different rabbit hole that we're not going to get into. But, no. Uh, it would. It's, it's good because actually someone, I can't remember where the comment was there, uh, Mr. Minty was saying that they've stumbled upon your channel and now they've got an 11 p.m. Saturday night rabbit hole. So enjoy. You enjoy have everybody. a really good rabbit hole. But that last burning question that I promised you is edible terrain, yay or nay? Do you know what? I think that could be a laugh, yeah? I think that could be a laugh at a long game tournament, yeah, where you weren't fed. So you're playing on the table and you, you, you know, you're getting hungry and you're looking, do I need that cover or can I eat it? <laughs> a big pack of biscuits. Like, it's like, do no, I no, I'm, I'm saying make hills out of cake, make buildings out of cake, make, what you call it, uh, trees out of candy floss and then put a load of big gamers in a room for a 24-hour game and see how long they can last before they eat the table. And we're playing third edition fancy battle with one piece of terrain on the table and a flat land. I don't know if I want, I don't know if I want to touch food that all these gamers have been playing on. Oh, Hygiene well, is not the... Well, well, you'd have to bring your own terrain, wouldn't you? You know oh, what I mean? You bring your... I'll bring mine. We'll, we'll play, oh. we'll eat. But the idea of edible terrain, I think that'd be a giggle. For general applications, not a chance. No, probably not. Probably yeah. not. But uh, hey, like, you know, you know it's what? your hobby. I you do, do like you. the idea. Then again, people make castles and stuff for cakes, don't they? And my kids are really good at... I'm going to challenge my daughter to make a hill as a cake. Because she loves cake baking, and I love cakes. So we're on a winner there. Well, she can defend the castle, and if you are able to get and into if I the castle, it. <laughs> you get to eat, like, the, the section of the castle you broke into. I love it. I absolutely yeah, welcome, love it. Welcome to the birthday party. You've got to roll four plus to get a slice of cake. <laughs> well, if you've enjoyed this chat, folks, uh, I, I, you know, one – Train Tutor, go check him out on YouTube. It's it's a, a great channel. Uh, 170 odd thousand subscribers. Yeah, can't be like wrong. Uh, been doing content for what over seven years. Um, you got yourself a book, The Terrain Essentials. You wrote it, um, and the link is below in the episode description. Go check it out. Uh, the final thing I'll say is anyone who leaves a YouTube comment, so not in the live chat, but in the YouTube comment. I'm going to pull out one lucky winner from um, from the chat up until the 8th of November Australia time. So um, if you're watching this on the replay, fear not, you haven't lost your opportunity. Just, I don't know, hashtag I love Mel or Terrain Tutor's the best. Like, let us know uh, that you love the Terrain Tutor. I'm personally paying for this. I'm going to buy one of your books. If there's lots and lots of comments, I might even buy a second one. But um, leave leave a comment in the comment section and um, I will do a draw. I'll be in contact, so I'll have to try to find a way to contact you. But keep an eye out. I'll ping you if, if you're the winner. But I'll do a random, like a random draw thingy. But Mel, if there's anything you want to wrap us up with, final comments. 
Um, That's, it's been it's absolute just pleasure. Been an absolute pleasure, mate. It's been a brilliant blast. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. And crack on, buddy. That's all I can say. Keep making that terrain. And hopefully me and you'll get to Adepticon soon. And you know what I mean? We'll share a beer and we'll have edible terrain. We'll, we'll, we'll do it next Adepticon. We'll play on an edible. I'm sure I can find an, a Yank who will bring us an edible table. I'm I'll, sure I I'll, can find I'll, I'll bring like the, the, the Tim Tam pile that we can make yeah, up. And, yeah, like, no, I'll bring vodka. And... We'll have vodka towers. <laughs> It'll be a great game, mate. But listen, I'll leave you to your awesome crowd. Thanks for having me on, Ant. It's been a blast, buddy. It really has. Well, like, subscribe. You want to do, folks. Uh, thank you all. And I hope you enjoyed this chat. And I hope you were inspired and you learnt a lot from the Terrain Tutor in this Terrain Masterclass. But Excellent. thanks, everybody. All the best, guys. Thanks yeah. for sticking around until the end. I hope you found that video interesting and you walked away with a few new ideas. If you did, I would appreciate it if you hit like on the video as well as left me a comment. Let me know what your thoughts are in the comment section below. The conversation will continue over on Discord, so links down below in the episode description if you want to join the Discord and continue the Age of Sigma conversation. I want to give a massive shout out as well to these absolute bloody legends, these champions who have continued to support me through Patreon or YouTube members. That is going directly into supporting the maintenance and the growth of this channel. So thank you very much, guys. Much appreciated. And until next time, roll more fixes.